You know, I can remember a young man here one time. I was talking about these kind of things, and uh, he came up after the service, and he said, You know, a few years ago, the Lord spoke to me. I said, He told me, He said, I want you to preach. He said, Man, I was in the workforce. I didn't know nothing about preaching. I thought, Lord, you have made a big mistake. This can't be you. He said, Lord, I'm not never going to preach your work. So he said, a year later, <clears throat> I am in a hospital laying on my deathbed, terminally ill. And he said, I'm crying out to God. Lord, where are you? And he said, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. He said, have I got your attention yet? <laughs> he said, what do you mean, Lord, have you got my attention? He said, well, I called you to preach. I told you to produce fruit. You're not doing what I told you. So he said, why do I need you? So he said, I'll just let the enemy take you out. He said, I don't need you. You're not going to do what I tell you. They ain't no use in your tree taking up the fruit of the soil. He said, Lord, you mean if I'd preach, you'll let me live? He said, oh, yeah. He said, Lord, I repent. I will preach your word. He said, I don't think I'll do a very good job. He said, the Lord said, that's okay. You just let me do it. You just yield your vessel to me and I'll take care of the rest. He said, okay, Lord, here I am. If you want me to preach, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Now, he was terminally ill on his deathbed, and he said, in one hour, I was out of the hospital and completely well. And he said, let me tell you, I've done what he told me to do from that day to this. Well, you know, the king did say, after I went astray, I was afflicted. But now I keep your word. I think that's Psalm 11967. I think that's where that's at. So anyway, we're going to start the healing school today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you and praise you for the privilege to teach your word. We want to thank you and praise you for the privilege to walk in divine health. We want to thank you and praise you that you've made us all the promises. You told us exactly what to do, and you said you will do the rest. So, Lord, we thank you for this day. I ask you to anoint everything that's done here today. I ask you to heal everybody that come here to be healed today. And I want to thank you and praise you for your word because you said you sent forth your word and healed your people. So, Lord, today we're not only going to teach your word, we're going to sing your word. And, Lord, as we sing your word and teach your word, we're going to ask you to do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. And I thank you and praise you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, praise the Lord. It's amazing how that, just exactly what Cheryl said years ago, how that I had been sick and afflicted and beat up on by the devil all those times. And one night, that magnificent word right there, sozo. The Lord says to the man that will study this book, will hide this book in his heart and believe these words, it will bring long life to him and health to all his flesh. You know, I had no idea that this book meant what it said. <clears throat> that sounds that's strange, isn't it? The owner's manual from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and I really didn't believe it. I read it, but I didn't believe it. Well, when I began to believe it, <clears throat> take it at face value, <clears throat> it began to mean an entirely new thing to me. So then, whenever I 
happened to do a lookup one night in the Word of God on a scripture that I had read so many times, and that's Romans 10, 8 and 9. Romans 10, 8 and 9 says, But what does it say? The word is nigh thee. But before you get to that verse, I want you to open your Bible to Romans 10. And I want us to go there and I want you to see in your own Bible, because until we see these words and we see exactly what it says, a lot of times we can't act on it. Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Christ is the end of the law for everyone that believeth. Do you believe you're still under the law today? No. If you do, then you're going to be sick. Because if you believe you're under the law, and you believe you have to keep the law, and nobody has ever been able to do that, then you can't walk in faith. You walk under the law. And when you walk under the law, no man man can keep the law. So every man and woman is going to be sick. But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now then, if this is true, and it is, you and I are not under the law anymore. Christ is the end of the law. Then he goes on to say, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith Speak on the, on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. It is even in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith that we preach. The word of faith. That if you shall confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, did you have to do anything physically to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, other than just confess with your mouth and believe with your heart? There ain't nothing you can do to gain salvation except those two things. It is a free gift. It's by grace. It's a gift of God. No, no, that nobody can boast that the Word of God is near us. It's in our mouth and in our heart. When I've done that lookup that he says there in verse 9, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the Heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now then, this last Easter Sunday, last Sunday, I done a teaching on you possess what you confess. And then at the end of it, I put my never again list. And I have never had as many people in a church service come up 
soon as the service was over, and said, I want that outline you're holding in your hand. I want that outline. Well, I only had one. Well, we tried to make copies that day, and the copy machine wouldn't work. So no, the devil didn't want nobody to have that outline. So today we not only have the outlines back there, a stack of them, but we got this entire teaching on CD, on DVD, on cassette tape, and on videotape. So you're going to be able to find it, whatever you want it. And we sent that tape out as tape of the month, and we've had many people call back in and said, Goodness gracious, I want another copy of that last, that, that t- already. I mean, we just sent it out, you know, a week ago. I mean, it was Easter Sunday, which I guess that was, what, two Sundays ago? That when Easter was, and the day after Easter, we immediately made 750 copies of those, put them in envelopes and sent 750 copies of that out, and we're already having people call back and want more copies of that tape. You know, in fact, one guy called back in and he said, I want at least 30 copies of that teaching. I thought, wow, don't know what he's going to do with it, but that's okay. You know, I don't care what they do with it as long as they do something with it because it's what the Word of God says. Now, we do not realize, just like this lady here, she said, her and her husband was talking a while ago. He said, I know I've listened to your teaching on CD on the power of the tongue at least four or five times. Haven't you talking to your wife? She said, I don't even know how many times I've listened to it, but more than that. More than that. Well, let me tell you, when you learn that this scripture means exactly what it says, the word is nigh thee, it is in your own mouth and in your own heart. God has given us, his children, that kind of power. That if we will confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, the Father raised him from the dead to pay the price for you and me, we all believe we're saved. You can't work for it. You can't be baptized for it. You can't go out and call on your stomach all across the United States. You can't pull a cross on your back all the way from coast to coast and that save you. There's only one thing can save you. The power of your tongue and the believing in your heart. That's the only thing that can save you. Well, but when I was reading this that night, I mean, I was a Southern Baptist at the time. And I knew those two scriptures by heart because I'd led many people to Christ. And that's the verses I always use. I mean, all good Southern Baptists and maybe Church of Christ and, and uh, uh, Pentecostals, Methodist, everybody else that believes anybody to Jesus, if you've got a Bible, and you've let, you usually use those verses, right? It's a very well-known set of verses because that's God's way of doing things. But I had no idea that that word in verse 9, the last verse, last word that says you shall be saved... I had no idea that word in the Greek was the word sozo. But that night, by divine appointment, and I believe everything's by divine appointment, I was in the Word of God. I now have these, I mean, this is back in about 1984 or something like this, 83 or 84. And I am very fortunate to be an engineer and working in the workforce. And I have one of these very wonderful green screen, 4 megahertz high speed computers. That's a long ways from 2.8 gigahertz, isn't it? (laughs) But I had one of those, and I reached over and clicked on the word saved. I highlighted the word saved. And when I did, my computer, I had all these synchronized so that when you highlight a word, then it pulls in, in the Greek, 
that word and highlights it for you. And then it pulls in, in the Greek dictionary, the definition of the Greek word. And all that happened instantly. So when I just happened to highlight the word saved, it said sozo. And sozo means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. I thought, what? That word, sozo, means all five of those things? I thought, let me see how many times the word sozo is used in the Greek New Testament. Because I am not a Greek scholar. But with a high-speed computer, you can do some wonderful things. So now then, I click on the word sozo, and I said, search right quick and tell me how many times that word is used in the Greek text. Bam, just like that. It says 120 times in 103 different verses. I said, wow. I mean, did you ever hear the Lord say... Let everything be confirmed out of the mouths of two or three witnesses. Well, let me tell you, if he put it in there 120 times, he must be trying to tell us something, you know it. So I said, Lord, let me go back. And the very first one was way back over in the book of Matthew. I thought, let me go over there and read it. So I went over there and read it. And then I went to the next one. I mean, I got a little deal there. Every time you click on it, it goes forward. One more location in the Word of God to the word sozo. So I went through all 120 of those places in the next several hours. And I read every one of them. One time Jesus would be saying or talking about salvation. Or one of the disciples would be talking about salvation. Like Paul was right here. I thought this is all it was talking about was salvation. But one time when he used the word sozo, he'd be talking about making you whole. One time he'd be making them well or healed. Or another time he'd be preserving them. Or another time he'd be delivering them from demons. You're delivered. Well, if I say, Sharon, you're delivered from that demon. Well, you understand it. But if I say, Sharon, you're sozoed from that demon. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means the same thing. But then I turn around and say, Jan, you're healed. Because Jesus said so. Jan, you're sozoed. And we say, wait a minute now. Wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute. Lord... If that word means all of those things, then I guess I'm more confused than I've ever been in my life. Because, Lord, when I was 11 years old, I received you in a little country Baptist church in Cross Plains, Texas. At 11, I received you as my Lord and my Savior. I said, if that word, sozo, means all them things, I said, then why in the world... From the time I was 11 to 45, have I been sick so many times. I mean, if I didn't have the flu once or twice a year, I didn't think it was normal. I mean, you know, everybody has the flu, right? That's what I've been told. Everybody has the flu. Everybody gets sick. I mean, that's what I've been told. I'm in a Christian. I'm in a Baptist church. I mean, you know, hey, you had the flu yet this year, Thurman? No, boy, you better go get the flu shot. You'll have it. Oh, I mean, that's the way we talk in a Baptist church. But I come to realize that's Methodist, Catholic, Pentecostals, and all others. It's not just a Baptist. It's in the church. But that's the way we talk is not what the Word says. So, I asked the Lord, why have I been sick so many times? Because I said, Lord, if this scripture right here in Romans 10 is true, then the Word is nigh me, it is in my mouth and in my heart, that if I'll confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart the Father raised Him from the dead, I'll not only be saved, I'll be healed, I'll be made whole, I'll be delivered from the forces of darkness, 
and I'll be preserved. I said, so why in the world have I been sick, down, pneumonia, hernia, cold, flus, everything you can think of, down in my back six times in the hospital, you know, walked on crutches for a week at a time, laid flat on my back. I said, why have I had all these problems if I was healed and made whole and I received you as my Savior when I was 11? Why have I been sick so many times since then? And he spoke to me audibly. I heard his voice clear. He said, son, I'm a faith God. And you have never received me as your healer by faith in my word. Well, see, I didn't know he was the healer. Nobody had ever told me. I, I didn't know. But that's like the world. How many people do you know? Is everybody in here today know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Everybody in here knows Jesus? Okay, if you know Jesus, how did you get him? How did you make him Lord and Savior? Did you do it just like I just read there? Did you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart? Or did you, did you go some other way? Is there another way? No, there is no other way to make Jesus Lord of your life. There's only one. You've got to be willing to say, I believe Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I walk up to you and I say, are you a Christian? Yes. I go to church down to Baptist Church. No, 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 no. I didn't ask you where you went to church. I asked you, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Methodist. No, 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 no. I mean, do you know Jesus? Well, I mean, I go to church. No, no, no. I want to know, do you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, I know I'm not perfect. I don't go as much as I should. I know I've done some bad things. I know I've done some good things. But I know when I get to heaven, some of my good is going to outweigh my bad. So I know he's going to let me in because my good. Surely I've done more good than I have bad. Is that going to get you in heaven? Absolutely not. You start trying to explain that to God, he's going to say, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. He said, yeah, you might have done a few things good, but the best you can do over here is this filthy rags in my presence. You don't understand what holiness and righteousness is. So if you're not washed in the blood of my son, forget it. You can't come in. I don't care who you are. You cannot come in until you have been washed in the blood of my son. So by, how do you do that? You confess it with your mouth. Where is it? In your mouth. What did Paul say it was? It's nigh you. In your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith that we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart the Father raised him from the dead. You'll be sozo. So if I will be sozo in the Greek. Then if I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in my heart the Father raised him from the dead. I'll be saved. Now is that for everybody in the whole world? Did, did the Lord leave out anybody? I mean, why is it then about 95% of the world is lost? They either don't know this, or they don't believe this. One of the two. Because let me tell you, until you confess that by faith, you wasn't saved either. You might have went to church every time the door was open. Did you know I can remember going into a Baptist church one time for years... And the pastor had a Ph.D., and one day his wife got saved. And then got baptized. And she'd been going to church with him, married to him, for years. And he had a Ph.D., and she wasn't even saved. Is that scary? One day she come under conviction. 
she had never really, by faith, accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. That's scary. But guess what? Since that's for the whole world, I don't care who you are, I don't care what nationality, creed, color, nothing else, race, I don't care what you are, until you receive Jesus. By faith, confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart you're not saved. But the day that word sozo becomes a revelation to you, after you get saved, when you got saved, how many of your sins did Jesus forgive? Part of them? How many? All. What is it we don't understand about all? When he redeemed you by the blood, how many sins that you had committed did he remember anymore? None. They're gone. They're washed away. Now then, the curse. The curse that you'd been under because of sins of either you or your parents or your grandparents, when he saved you at the same time, according to Galatians 3.13 and 14, he redeemed you from every curse you were under. You know what it means to be redeemed from the curse? Let's put it this way. Let's say, let's say Christy here owed somebody a thousand dollars. And she's in debt. And let's say that she's having trouble making them hundred dollar a month payments. And I hear one day she said, Thurman, I am, I said, what's wrong? She, I'm all upset because I'm not able to make that hundred dollar payment this month and I still owe them people a thousand dollars. I said, no problem. Who is it? She tells me. And so I walk over there in her presence, and I say, this little girl owes you a $1,000. They said, yeah. I reach in my pocket. You know, I'm like Bill Gates, you know, and that's front pocket money for me, you know. <laughs> Lord, forgive me for lying. I'm just kidding here. <laughs> I reach in my pocket. I get $1,000, and I count out $100 bills. I pay him $1,000. I said, that's to pay off Christie's debt. He said, good. Thank you. And he walks off and leaves. Christie, she's in agony. She said, where am I going to get the $100 to pay him? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay this debt? Hey, what did I do to that debt? I redeemed that debt. I paid it. Does she owe it anymore? So what's she frustrated about? What's she going around fussing? Where am I going to get the $100 to make the payment this month? There ain't no payments left. She's been redeemed. See, when we got saved, if we knew it, Christ not only redeemed you from all these sins and took you out from under the law. But he also redeemed you from every curse you were under at the same time. And he, not only that, but he healed you, delivered you, preserved you, and made you whole. But what if you don't know that? You can be just like I was. You can be sick and afflicted and the devil beat up on you and you can have the flu twice a year. You can have double pneumonia. You can do everything and you don't have a clue what's going on on the earth. And that's what happened to me. Just like I don't know how many people, especially my good friend Dave back there, he was a good church of Christ, just like I was a good Baptist. They went to church every time the doors opened and he said, we used to sing, standing on the promises. He said, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. He said, I, what promise? I was singing, but I wasn't, didn't have a clue what it meant to stand on the promises. I thought, you know, that's the way we did it over to Baptist Church, too. Woo, we get up and sing, standing on the promises. And you start to walk out and somebody, Jen, how you feeling? Oh, I'm sick today. I ain't doing too good. Well, praise God, you know. Maybe I would even think about, well, 
maybe if I think about it this afternoon, I'll pray for you. You know, it didn't do no good to me to pray because I didn't believe nothing was going to happen when I prayed. That's where we lived, wasn't it, Jan? You know, I mean, no, when we get a hold of this word and who we are as children of the king, when we begin to realize what the king did for us, whenever we were living in the darkness of the world, living in sin, we were living out there in the devil's world, he was our father. Now then, if he was our father, and he is the author of sickness and disease, if you belong to him, can he just put sickness and disease on you anytime he wants to? Sure he can. Does he do it on a regular basis? Yes, he does. But when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, with what you're going to see in the Scripture today, Jesus reached out there when somebody prayed for us. First of all, we don't get saved until somebody prays for you. When I learned that to Jesus, I used to wonder, Lord, why don't you save so-and-so? Why don't you save so-and-so? And then I'd say, well, Lord, please save Uncle John. Lord, please save Uncle John. And then one day he says, son, that's what I'm trying to do is save Uncle John. Well, then, Lord, why don't you do it? He says, I can't. What do you mean you can't? God can do anything. He said, no, I've given the power to the church. I told you to pray and ask me for all these things. Stand on my word. And when you ask me, first of all, he said, who did I say in the scripture is blinding the mind of the people? I said, well, Lord, you said the devil's blinding their mind. He said, okay, if the devil's blinding their mind, what do you think I meant? If their mind is blinded by the God of this world, then I can't get through to them until some human being down there on earth prays and rebukes the devil and commands him to get his hands off of the person. Then, he said, I told you to pray and ask me to send the Holy Ghost to convict them of sin. Then I told you to pray and ask me to send the proper labors into the harvest. And he said, if you'll do what I said, he said, then and only then can I save these people. I thought, Lord, do you mean you've left the souls of men in the church, in the hands of the church? I thought, oh, God, did you mess up? I mean, did you mess up? I mean, he wants to give you and me on the job training. And you here we are thinking, oh, God, save Uncle John. And that's what he's trying to do. So then, when you start praying for these people like that, then you start saying, Lord, this is in my hands. So then you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take Hebrews 4.16. I'm going to go to the throne of grace, and I'm going to walk in just like you said, and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm going to praise you and worship you and thank you that these things belong to me. I'm a son of God. I can come into the presence of you anytime I want to because I'm washed in the blood. So when I walk in, you don't see me, Lord, or my past sins. You see Jesus. And so, Lord, I'm going to walk in here and I'm going to praise you. Now, you've got to get this picture that he's daddy and you're the child. How many daddies ever turn down their child when they come in to talk to them? I mean, is there a loving, kind father? Never. So you come in and you say, Dad, first of all, i got every sin repented of and confessed. And I'm walking holy before you. And Lord, Uncle John down there, he's lost. 
The devil's blinded his mind. But I'm, devil, I am taking, I am exercising my power and authority over you, and I am doing exactly what Luke 10, 20 says, and I am commanding you in the name of Jesus to get your hands off of Uncle John. Now, you've been blinding his mind. You've been making him sick. You're tormenting him. His body's sick and ravaged with sin and with uh, cancer or whatever it is. Now, Satan, I demand that you get your hands off Uncle John in the name of Jesus. Now, Father... I ask you, according to John 6, 44, to send the mighty Holy Spirit as there on earth and begin to convict Uncle John of sin and draw him into the kingdom of God. And then, Lord, if I can be the right labor, send me. But if I'm not the right labor, you send the right one, whoever it is, and you have that right labor. Witness to Uncle John, and you bring him into the kingdom and save him, fill him with the Holy Ghost, and just set him on fire and use him mightily for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And he said, now then, we're getting somewhere. And in a week, Uncle John gets saved. Only prayed for him for 30 years and nothing never happened. When you did it right in one week, Uncle John got saved. When the church begins to understand who we are and what we can do, we're not trying to persuade God to do something he's reluctant to do. He wants to do these things through us. He wants to save people. He wants to heal people. But you have to do it his way. Well, when I learned this, I thought to myself, Lord, I got saved at 11. Somebody prayed for me. But now then, because of the sin of unbelief for the promises of God, I, have, I am living with an evil and wicked heart of unbelief. Do you think God lacks an evil and wicked heart of unbelief? I know He doesn't. In fact, he says, because the children of Israel that he brought out of Israel, after they walked around the mountain for 40 years, he said, not one single one of you that's over the age of 20 is going to enter into my rest because of your unbelief. Because you did not mix faith or trust in my word, none of you shall enter my rest. That's a lot of people. If they didn't enter his rest, where'd they go? To another place. That's scary, isn't it? He tells us not to go there too. So what do we do? Here we got this magnificent book called the Owner's Manual, the Word of God, that tells us all these things. And if we sit down and read it at all, we read it like a novel. What we want to do is we want to get up on Sunday morning and sometimes even grumbling and complaining. Well, it's Sunday again, you know. Well, I, ain't, I don't want to get up this early and go to Bible study or Sunday school. I, well, that preacher, he don't preach for 15 or 20 minutes. So I might go down there and listen. To, I, maybe I could stand him that long. And we don't say nothing that touches him, so it's just a tradition. So we come there. We listen to a little. I used to think about the Baptist church out there in Justin. We have the first 30 minutes of worship. And praise, if that's worship and praise, forget it. I ain't interested. I ain't interested. I want to see somebody worship the king. I want to see somebody raise your hands. I want to see somebody smiling. I don't want to get up on the platform and look back and we're all sitting up there while everybody's singing and about two of has got their hands crossed not even moving their mouth. That ain't no worship. We need to worship Him and praise Him and thank Him. He loves for us to worship and praise Him. If you're not willing to stand up and say, Hey, Lord, here I am. 
I'm down here amongst all these believers. Well, maybe they're believers, Lord. I don't know. But I'm willing to stand up and say, I worship you and praise you and thank you because you saved me and healed me and delivered me. Lord, I want to praise you and worship you for that. Oh, he said, well, now then, he said, if you'll do that, he said, you want to go out and pray for somebody this afternoon, I'll, I'll either save somebody or heal somebody. But if you're in grumbling and unbelief, you might as well stay at home this afternoon and watch a football game because you're going to get more done there than you will out trying to do something for Jesus. But anyway, when he tells us what to do here in this Romans 10, when you get a hold of this, that you're going to live in the Word of God where you confess, where your confession is. Your miracle is where? In your mouth and where? In your heart. Now then, whatever is in a man's heart, where does it come out? The Word of God says it comes out of his mouth. So, if you're out here and you're driving down the road and there's a near accident and somebody runs over you and you split out, you spit out a few words of profanity, that idiot, he nearly cut me off right there. Did you see that blankety blank fool? Ooh, the Lord said, if you've got darkness in your heart, how dark is that darkness? Well, I'm telling you, some of it just come out. <laughs> Brother over here, he's laughing with me. Is that the way we are? That's the way we are. You know, and you know what should come out of our mouth? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I ask you to bless that person. Just like this morning. When we were sitting there in that little restaurant, we didn't have much time, but we thought, well, we we're going to stop. We went out to the ministry center, got a bunch of tapes on the way back. We stopped to have breakfast, and the place was just packed over. I mean, them poor people was running around there. I mean, all kinds of things. You know, I thought, how easy it would be right here to start grumbling and complaining. And I said, Lord, Philippians 2.14, you said, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now, if the king says do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining. What do you think he meant? Do how many things? All. all things. Without grumbling and complaining. Obviously, we don't read the word very good. Because the first thing that came to my mind was good grief of all things for me to stop by here. And, you know, I'm in a hurry. You know, I ain't going to get nothing. I ain't going to get to eat. You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing that come to my mind. But I didn't open my mouth. We sat down at the counter. Cheryl said, well, there's two seats at the counter. Let's sit down there. So we sat down at the counter. We sat there for five minutes. Nobody even noticed we was there. Because, <laughs> I mean, there was five or six people behind the counter. And, I mean, they're <laughs> moving and everything. And, and Cheryl looked over that one lady. She finally came in. She said, hmm, she doesn't look very happy, does she? I thought, she doesn't look very happy. She said, yeah, she got something wrong with her, too. And I said, okay, it's time to start praying. And the little boy that was washing dishes right in front of us, I said, son, what did you do to your arm? He said, somebody threw a fastball and it hit me and broke my arm. Yeah. And so I said, "Uh, okay. So I told Cheryl, I said, honey, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. He's busy. But I said, let's you and me agree in prayer for a supernatural healing for that little boy's arm. What did Jesus say in Matthew 18, 19? If two of you on earth agree about anything, would that include his little broke arm? Hey, what, what can we do to that little boy's broke arm? Get him healed. 
I mean, we can pray and him not even know it. And he can go back to the doctor next week and the doctor says, Wow, I don't have a clue what happened. But this thing's healed. Hey, does anybody have to know what we're doing? No. The king loves to do things. That's why he said, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Do you think he meant that? Of course, so when we go into a place like that, instead of saying, oh my goodness gracious, I'm late, I'm going to be late to a healing school, I'm going to be late to teach the Word of God today, and I'm just grumbling and complaining, and the king says, oh, do you want anything to happen whenever you get through today? Well, yeah, Lord, I'd like for everybody to get healed. He said, well, what did you not understand when I said do everything without grumbling and complaining? Will that get your attention? So I wasn't about to do any grumbling and complaining. So we began to pray. And of course then, as after we prayed for that little boy in his arm, then I began to just sit there and put my hand over my mouth and so gently say, Lord, I ask you to bless that little woman, bless that little man. I ask you to give them supernatural knowledge and ability to be able to do everything they need so they get the orders in the right places at the right time. So everybody get the right orders and everything. When's the last time you went to a restaurant that was wild and busy and you sat down and prayed for the people like that? Instead of grumbling and complaining because you wasn't getting yours on time. Which way do we normally go? We normally grumble and complain. Do what, sir? Yeah, get up and leave and go somewhere else. That's right, yeah. But did the Lord tell us to pray about everything with thanksgiving? Can you change the world when you start doing it His way? That's just like the other day. I was talking to a man, went to a hospital, went to work in a hospital. He said, I couldn't believe God would put me in a hospital while I'm working, going, going to the seminary. But he put me in a hospital. And he said, some of these little children's hospital, and he said, some of them were in terrible, terrible, terrible condition. And he said, you know, I'm sitting there complaining about these children, how bad they are and everything. He said, after several, maybe it was several weeks he had worked there, he said, you know, the Lord spoke to me. He said, well, you're holding this one in your lap, grumbling and complaining. You could ask me to heal them. He thought, I never thought about that. Are we dense? As Christians, he made us a book full of problems. Are we dense? So he said, I started praying over these children. I mean, Lord, be merciful to this little child. Heal this arm or heal this leg or this cancer or whatever. And he says, much to my surprise, the children started getting well. Isn't that amazing? The king of kings that made us promises. Oh, by the way, he said, well, now, you know, you quoted Matthew eighteen nineteen, But there was just one of him and that little child. And he probably wasn't even talking to the child. Maybe the child was not even able to comprehend. Well, in case there's not two of you, Jesus made a statement in John fifteen seven. In John 15, 7, the king says, If my words, which is this book, abide in you, and you abide in me, you can ask me, what, Sharon? Anything. Anything you want to, and I'll do it for you. What a promise! Well, I mean, what's wrong with it? Do we not believe these things? Obviously, we don't. You know? I remember years ago, I was sitting there watching Christian television one morning, and for the first time in my life, I heard a man 
come on that had some of these mighty promises like this, like Matthew eighteen nineteen, John fifteen seven, John fourteen thirteen and fourteen. He had a few of those, five or six, and he quoted those. He said, "You know, I've read these scriptures often, but I often wonder." exactly what God meant when he put these scriptures in his book. Because he says, if these verses were really real, if they were really real, and we acted on these verses, God would be obligated to do what he said he would do. But he said, you know, we must misinterpret this. This must not mean what he said. Because if he meant what he said, then we as Christians could literally get anything we asked for. But he said, you know, we know that's not true. And so, you know, I remembered that and I thought one day, you know, if God said it in his word, and in Titus 1-2, he said, I can't lie. In Jeremiah 1-12, he said, I watch over my word and I'm ready to perform my word. I thought, you know, All this time, I've been trying to persuade God to do something I thought he was reluctant to do when I prayed. I begged and pleaded with God to do things. Never saw him do nothing. So I thought, well, you know, he's mad at me. You know, I didn't know he was a faith God. But when I learned he was a faith God, and that I had never received him as my healer, my deliverer by faith in his word. That night, my miracle was in my mouth. I said, Lord, I now see it. When you sozoed me, you not only saved me, you healed me. You made me whole. You delivered me. You preserved me. You did all these things 2,000 years ago. And then you give it to me. And now then, by faith, I have to receive all of these things. I said, today, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for my stupidity. I ask you to forgive me for not knowing these things, for they're so clearly laid out. So now then, tonight, I am asking you to forgive me for my sins of unbelief, for my healing. And tonight, I am receiving you as my divine healer. I also know you said in your word, go and sin no more. So I'm going to do everything I can by the power of the Holy Ghost to walk in no sin. If I do mess up, Lord, I will immediately repent of my sin. But I'm going to walk holy before you. And I'm going to receive you as my healer tonight, just like I received you as my Savior when I was 11. But now I'm 45 years old at that time. I said, I'm receiving you as my healer. And from this day forth... According to faith in your word, I will never have another sick day. And so the next, I thanked him for it. The next morning I walk into my workplace where most of them are Baptists. There was a few stragglers of other kind, you know, but they were Christians. I walked in and I said, praise God. You guys and gals are looking at a man that received Jesus as his healer last night. And I ain't never going to have another sick day. Now, what does the Word say? i got to confess. i got to confess what I believe the Word says. I mean, if I walk up to you and say, are you saved? You say, well, I sure do hope so. Oh, you're just like me. You don't believe you're saved, do you, brother? 
I mean, you've got to be, you've got to be dogmatic about this thing. Hey, are you saved? Absolutely, I'm saved. Well, how do you know you're saved? Well, I go back here, right here in this little church in Cross Plain, Texas, when I was 11, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Did you see any angels? Do you hear God's voice? You hear any bells? No. Well, how do you know you're saved then? Did God speak to you? No. Well, how do you know you're saved? Because it's written in the book. It's written in the book. It says, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart the Father raised Jesus from the dead, I am saved. So, that night I'd heard a word from God the night before. And he told me the reason I'd been sick is because I hadn't received his free gift of healing by faith in his word. And so I received him as my healer. And I thanked him for it. Now the next day, I believe that, so I'm going to go tell everybody, just like when I got saved, I'm saved. I'm now healed. And I am never going to have another sick day. Ooh, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, come on, Thurman. You've been a religious fanatic all these years. Now you've dropped off the deep end. You know everybody's going to have to be sick again. You know it. You know we can't go through life without being sick. I said, well, you can be sick if you want to. But I ain't going to be. I've been sick far too many times the first 45 years of my life. But I ain't going to be sick no more. I received Jesus last night as my healer. Now I'm going to walk in obedience to His Word. And I'm going to confess that with my mouth and believe that with my heart. And if this book is true, Jesus said, Whatever I believe and are willing to confess with my mouth and I believe my heart, I can have it. I can have it. So I said, I ain't going to be sick no more. And I walked off. Praise God. I mean, I ain't going to be sick. Well, one of those men that was there, he was a Baptist preacher. He looked at all them ladies and men. He said, oh, yeah, you all know how Thurman is. He's, he's a little fanatical. But he says, first time he gets sick, we'll laugh at him. I mean, that's where we live, in the church. We don't believe this book. So about five years later, this brother comes and he said, Thurman, he said, I haven't even seen you talk about sickness. Have you been sick? I said, absolutely not. I said, I told you five years ago I received Jesus as my healer. And I said, there ain't no devil in hell put me out after this. I said, I'm walking in divine health and I ain't going to be sick no more. He said, maybe you and me ought to sit down and you ought to tell me how you did this. So we sat down and I explained it to him. And now he's walking in divine health. See, it not only works for one of us, it works for any of us. Now then, you can walk in divine health. You can receive Jesus as your healer. And I think we have one or two people in here, at least right now, that would like to tell us about their miracle. You want to tell us about yours? I'm going to let you give your testimony right now. I think this would be a good place. You tell us, you tell us what Jesus did for you. Um, I became a Christian about five years ago. So I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I would have told you I was a Christian. And um, became a Christian. We got a Northwest Bible. And married my husband and thought, you know, this is what it's about. We go to church and lead community group and, oh, this is what being a Christian is about. But I always had a passion and a big mouth. And I just thought, this is, this can't be it. Well, for 15 years I've been sick and gone from doctor to doctor and kind of grew up in a house that first time you were sick, you went to the doctor and we definitely spoke it. And, and... After two years of marriage, I was sick all the time. 
And um, this sweet man is a complete miracle. Um, he was healed of cancer. And we have a intercessory prayer at Northwest. And I leaned over, and Debbie was sitting behind me at church, and she said, how are you? I said, oh, I'm not going through anything, going through anything like you are. And um, she said, well, what do you mean? And at this point, I was diagnosed with Graves' disease. And my husband and I were like, finally, praise the Lord. We know what it is. We're going to the doctor. I'm healed. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> we did the radiation. Um, by the time I got to the doctor, it was the highest level, and he's one of the best he had ever seen. And we, um, anyway, thought when we left, I'm doing the radiation. takes seven months. I'm healed. I did the radiation, and I wasn't healed. <laughs> And there's only 3% that's not healed. And the doctor didn't understand. Meanwhile, my levels are going up and down. I mean, every symptom in the book. And I'm like, God, I'm a Christian. What do you want from me? He wanted me. (laughs) He wanted her to speak the truth. And I turned around and she said, I need you to come. It's different. But these people prayed for Ron G. So just brace yourself. It's not your typical Northwest Bible. And I said, I'm desperate. And she loved on me and called me. And these people just swarmed around me, prayed for me, talked about the devil. I was like, who? <laughs> never heard about him. This is kind of weird. My husband's like, I've been in church all my life. I've never heard this. Someone led us to Thurman. And I left with faith that you could not believe. I went into my doctor's office that, and from what I understand, he's Jewish, and told him I'm completely healed. I don't need any other treatment. Watch a miracle happen. And he said, okay, I'm on your side. (laughs) So we left. We asked for four weeks of prayer and fasting. It's completely changed our lives. We went over every scripture you said. My husband then was like, he didn't say anything that's not in the Bible. Prayed over my body, had people praying for us, and I went back for the first time. I'm not on any prescriptions for thyroid. My levels have gone down, and I'm completely healed. (laughs) And the doctor had to give the test twice because he wasn't sure what happened. And he said, I can give you a pill right now that they're not completely in the normal range. And I said, he said, but I'm not going to because I don't understand your body. So I'm giving you six more weeks. And they are dropping. And they have not moved with radiation pills until we were completely faithful and prayed. And it is a miracle. Amen. Now you're healed. Oh, yeah. Now I'm... Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, these people over here are not normal. (laughs) They may do things a little different, and they have a tendency to talk about the devil. (laughs) Who is he? Well, let me tell you, he's our problem. The devil is the problem in the church. So when we get a hold of the Word of God, and we start believing the king... The king, when you go to the doctors, and the doctors can't do anything, when you come to Jesus, wow. Luke one thirty seven with Jesus, what can Jesus do? All things. Nothing's impossible with Jesus. So when you, I don't care what you have, it makes no difference. Jesus can heal anything. And it's better to be healed than it is to be sick, isn't it? 
Oh, yeah, especially when you've been sick all these years, like this precious little daughter of the king. Now, she was sick and afflicted because of a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. See, we don't understand. We think this is just something we have to do. It's not something we have to do. In fact, if you will do what this says here in Romans 10, and you will do this by faith, then the word sozo means not only saved, but healed and made whole and delivered and preserved. So now then, if you by faith can say, you know, Lord, Father, if you sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for me, and he paid the price for all my sins, he redeemed me from all the curse, then I'm no longer, I, have no, I no longer have any sins. So the minute I got saved, he washed them all away. Now, Lord, I didn't know that at that time, so it's been five years ago, ten years ago, or twenty years ago. I realize now that I've blown it a lot of times since then. So, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for all of those things I did when I lived with this woman out of wedlock for a year. I mean, I kind of knew that was wrong, Lord. But, you know, the flesh is weak, and so, Lord, I messed up. Could you please forgive me for living with that woman a year out of wedlock? He said, yeah, I'll forgive you. But don't go do it again, he says now. I'll wash you and I'll clean you. Oh, and Lord, I lied over here to so-and-so 40 times I lied. I repent and I won't never lie again. He said, okay, I'll wash that away. Oh, and Lord, over here, I stole $50,000 from a friend. You know, 50000 And I can't pay him back. I mean, there ain't no way. I can. By the way, Lord, he's died since then anyway. But I thought, I'm okay, I'm off the hook, because he died. His heirs don't know it. But Lord, will you forgive me for stealing that 50000 from him? He said, okay, but don't go steal no more. He said, okay, Lord, i got all my sins repented of now. I'm clean. Oh, but my daddy, he lived, uh, he, he done all these bad things. And, and my granddaddy did all these things. And my granddaddy was sick, my daddy was sick, and now I've got the same problem they had. And they tell me that's a generational curse, so I guess there's not anything you can do about the curse. He said, no, I paid the price for the curse, too. I redeemed you from the curse. I redeemed you. I paid the price for that curse 2,000 years ago. Oh, you mean it's all done? I'm rede- you paid the total debt? Yes, son. I paid the total debt. Well, then why am I still sick? Because you haven't rebuked the enemy and reminded him of these things and that you're now my son or my daughter and he's over there. you got every sin repented of. Now then he has no legal claim to you. So just submit yourself to me. Take my word. Resist him and drive him away in the name of Jesus and your healing will be there. I already paid for it 2,000 years ago. It's already done. And you think, Lord, this is awesome. But I begin to confess that. The day I received Jesus as my healer, I wasn't sick that day. I was well. But over 20 years ago, when I was 45 years old, I received Jesus as my healer. And I've never had another sick day. Glory to God. I walked into the parts house the other day. Sure, was out in the car. I went in to get a part. I went in there. And I'm standing there at the counter getting some brake cups. Repair the truck, my truck. And a guy walked in. He had kind of a little ponytail. And he walked in. He's getting something. He said, man, I'm tired and wore out. He said, the guy says, he said, well, that's all when you get old as me. He said, this is just things that happen to you when you get old and wore out like me. He said, my children don't understand how old I am. I looked over him. I said, sir, 
Well, do you mind if I ask you how old you are? I said, you don't even want to know. I'm so ancient. I said, no, no, seriously. I said, how old are you? He said, well, I just turned 50. I said, 50? I looked at him and I said, you ain't even dry behind the ears yet. He said, what do you mean? He said, when you get as old as I am. I said, when I get as old as you are. I said, I'm many years older than you are. He said, how old are you? I said, would you believe I'm just about three years below, three or four years below 70? He looked for me and said, there ain't no, ain't no way you're 65 or 66. I said, I am. He said, how do you look so young? I said, well, first of all, I'm a born-again Christian. And I said, number two, I read the Word of God. I said, and number three, Jesus said that if I don't sin... There's no death can come upon me. And he said he renews my youth daily like the eagles. So I said I claim that every day. And that's how I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And that's how I can stand here at 66 years of age. And I've worked all day. I'll work all night on that truck. And I said, here you are at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, whatever it was. And you're ready to call it quits. And I said, I ain't even got started. And I'm nearly 20 years older than you are. And he looked at me for a minute and he said, Brother, am I glad I met you today. I needed this little pep talk. (laughs) Well, now see, that's where every one of us as Christians need to walk. Every one of us as Christians need to know who we are. We need to be walking in divine health. We need to be walking a notch above the devil. We need to be walking in health and walking in what God promised us. We, We need to be a demonstration of what the Spirit of God is on this earth. We need to be walking in such power that when people see you, they think, there ain't no way. You can't possibly be doing that. But we should be doing that. We should be walking in health. Now then, just like Dave Rosenfeld. When Dave come to me, oh, it's been a couple of years ago I met Dave. Dave was such, I don't even remember the name of the disease he had. But he had such breaking out all over his body. And he had such weeping of his skin, he could not even embrace and squeeze his wife. How would you like to be married and couldn't hold your wife and even t- hold her? I mean, every man likes to embrace his wife and hold her. But he couldn't because of his skin. He began to come here. I began to show him that it's sin. He said, but Thurman, my grandmother had this. My mother had this. And I've got this. It's just a generational thing. I said, yeah, it's a generational curse. But Jesus redeemed you from the curse. And you don't have to have it no more. And today, Dave Rosenfeld, last, no, night before last, yeah, night before last, him and Ayesha, his wife, lovely wife, now then that they've learned how to walk in divine health, although he's like 42 years old, they finally decided that since they now know that if they bring a child into the world, the child don't have to be under the curse. So the child wants to be sick. So praise God. I don't know how many months along she is, but she's going to have their first baby shortly. You know, because he's learned. And so I, they were out at the ministry center and they were studying and everything. And I come in and I said, Dave, I don't want to interrupt you from your studying, but I need some help to help me bleed the brakes on my truck. Could you come just give me five minutes to pump the pedal? He said, sure. So both of them come out there. They come out to there in my shop, and he helped me bleed the brakes. And then he said, are you through? I said, yeah, I'm fixing to put the tires. He started rubbing them big old truck tires and putting them on there and putting lug nuts on. We got all that on. 
And in a little while, I said, well, that's all I like. I said, in the morning, I'll come over here and get it, and I've got to go get an air conditioner. I said, well, I want to get this done tonight. He said, you know, before I met you, there was no way. He said, I could have stood out here and held the light for you, but there ain't no way I could have picked up that kind of stuff and put it on there. He said, but because of the power of God and what you've taught me from God's Word, he said, I stand before you healed. He said, I'm so grateful for these promises in God's Word. Isn't it amazing? By lack of knowledge where we live. All those years, all his life, he had had this sickness and disease. His grandmother had this disease and died with it. His mother had this disease and died with it. When Dave first started coming here, you didn't want to touch him. His skin was leaking and weeping, pus and stuff all over. He looked awful. What is that? A demon. A devil. And now then the guy's healed. Ooh. I mean, does it make life more fun to be healed? Ooh, there's another little lady over here. I mean, you can just see the joy in her eyes, you know, when she thinks about, I'm healed. I don't have to be sick no more. Ooh, glory to God. Jesus bore your sickness, removed your disease, just like he did mine. But he's a faith God, and he expects you to receive him by faith. And when you receive him by faith, you won't never have to go back to another doctor. As long as you trust Jesus, he will take care of all your sickness. And all. He promises Why is it we don't believe Psalms 103? He said, I am the God that forgives all of your iniquities. How many? All. All. You notice the order. I forgive your iniquities or your sins. Then he said, then I heal all of your diseases. Now, see, if you take that in order and you got a sickness and disease, what's the first thing you need to do? Repent of sin. Somebody said, well, I don't have any sins. If you don't believe this book and you got a sickness and disease, you got a sin. And the sin may be just unbelief of the promises of God's Word. But that will keep you sick. That'll keep you sick. He's a faith God. He expects you to believe that. If He says, I forgive all of your iniquities, what does He expect you to do? If you come to Him and confess Him, and you know what we do? We say, oh God, if it's possible, will you forgive me for lying to that guy yesterday? And then you go outside... And somebody says something, says, oh yeah, I lied to John yesterday. I said, sure. God, if it's possible, do you please forgive me for lying to him? He said, lying to who? Well, Lord, I lied to John yesterday. I don't, I don't know nothing about that. Why does he not know nothing about that? Like over yonder, you confessed it, right? When you confessed it, what did he say he done with it? But it is far as the east is from the west, never to remember it again. So what do we ask him a second time for? Makes us wonder, doesn't it? Because the minute you ask God to forgive you for your sin, how many of them does He forgive? Isn't that amazing? So somebody says, well, I couldn't possibly be righteous. That's a sin. That's a sin. He's made you the righteousness of God in Christ by what He did to His Son. So somebody says, wow, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I remember in a Baptist church one time, I prayed for a man. And the man I prayed for had cancer, and he got healed. And then this man came to me. Now, this guy had already been to uh, the doctor. He had had surgery, and the doctors told him, we can't get it all. We'll have to give you chemo or radiation or something, and hopefully we can do something with it. 
So I went on and sat down and talked to him in three or four hours and showed him these promises and then prayed for him, rebuked the devil, drove it out. And when he went back for the test, guess what? There wasn't nothing there. He was healed. He came to me in church and said, You know, Thurman, wow, you know, it is written in the Bible. It says, The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He said, I just wish we could find more righteous men. You don't know why he didn't get his prayers answered? Because he didn't see himself as the righteousness of God in Christ. Which one of us is more righteous before God, me or him? Before God, there wasn't no difference. If God, he, if God made you the righteousness of God in Christ, when he sees you, what does he see? The righteousness of God. You come and say, Lord, I couldn't possibly pray the prayer of faith because I'm not righteous. He says, what do you mean spitting in my face? What do you mean? Did I send my son down and pay the price for your sins? Well, yeah, Lord, you did. Did I say, I made you the righteousness of God in Christ because of what my son did? Well, yes, you did. Well, then why don't you see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ? Why can't you stand before me and pray the prayer of faith for these people? Because I made you righteous. You see where I'm coming from? So then you say, all right, Dad, let me come into the throne room. I got a request today. I got my sins repented of. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Dad? He said, oh, now we're getting down to business. Come in, son. Let's have a talk. What do you need? And so you start praying for people. Just like this precious little lady over here. We had to teach her the same thing. She had to stand on the Word. And when she did, and she began to trust God. How many years had you had that, honey? How, long, how many years did you say? Well, it's diagnosed that I was sick for 15 years. 15 years. I mean, of course, I, I know all of y'all know that to be sick for 15 years is just a piece of cake. Everybody wants to be sick for 15 years, right? No. Well is a whole lot better, isn't it? A whole lot better. Nobody wants to be sick. But you can't go beyond knowledge. Now, if you think that all church is about just going to church, you know, accepting sickness and disease when it comes... You've not learned the truth. Where is your miracle? In your mouth and where? In your heart. So what we're trying to do is build your faith. We're trying to teach you who the enemy is and the power you have over him. Now then, I want you to turn on over just a few, or turn back a few pages to the book of Acts. I want you to see something in Acts chapter 10. We were in Romans chapter 10. So I want you to come to Acts chapter 10. And I want you to see this verse, verse 38. Acts 10, 38. Acts 10, 38, Jesus said, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed or under the power of the devil. For God was with him. That all that were oppressed are under the power of the devil. If he healed all that was under the power of the devil, then who was making these people sick? The devil. So who is our problem when it comes to sickness and disease? The devil. Okay, if the devil, Satan and his host of demons, is our problem with sickness and disease... Every time the devil tries to attach himself to you, and I'm telling you, people say, oh, just like a lady coming to me the other day. She comes and she said, Thurman, I have never heard about this devil. You talk about the devil. 
And you're talking about how he makes us sick and afflict us. She said, is there a prayer you can pray for me that will keep me away from the devil forever? I said, yes, ma'am, there is. But I said, you won't like it. She, she said, there really is a prayer you can pray that will keep me free of the devil forever? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I want you to pray it over me. I said, ma'am, I don't think you're going to like this prayer. She said, oh, I'll, I'll love it. I said, are you sure? She said, yes, pray it over me. I just read up late my hand. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, kill her right now and take her to heaven. <laughs> she jumped back and said, no, I ain't ready to die yet. I said, okay, that's the only way you get rid of the devil is die and go to heaven. I said, as long as you're alive. She said, well, surely there's got to be a way. I said, look, ma'am, in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, chapter 4, the devil came to Jesus and he attacked him three times in a row. The Lord rebuked him with the word every time. He said, it is written. And since the devil had no legal claim to him, I said, after the third time, I said, one of those times even the devil quoted the word back to Jesus. I said, so he knows the word. So you've got to be very careful. But I said, after the third time, Jesus rebuked him with the word. It is written, it says, so the devil left him till a more opportune time. If the devil left him till a more opportune time, I said, I'm going to tell you for sure, if he come back to Jesus, he's going to come back to you and me. So I said, just get used to it. And I said, this is the thing the church has got to remember. We're in a war. We're in a war. But most of the church is like this precious little lady over here. When she got saved and started going to church, she thought this is just something we do. We just go to church. We read the Bible. We don't know that there's a devil out there to come to steal, kill, and to destroy and put sickness and disease upon us. Now, if you don't know who this is, I mean, you can go to doctors. You can suffer. You can have pain. You can have all kinds of things. And that devil will continually beat up on you. I mean, he don't like you. He hates you. And he will kill you if he can. He will steal from you. He will do everything he can. And let me tell you, the closer you begin to walk to Jesus, you won't like this statement. The king says, to all them that will purify themselves and walk holy before me, you will suffer persecution. I said, at least so far, so far, I have never been out the ministry center when a group of people come out there and drug me and Cheryl out and stripped us off naked and tied us to the poles out front and beat us with a cat of nine tails. Praise God that hadn't happened yet. And we hope that don't ever happen. But I said, you know, Paul and Silas wasn't quite so lucky. I said, they preached the gospel and got the sick healed and they come and stripped them off and took the cat of nine tails and beat them. 39 stripes, and then took them and put them in stocks and bonds and locked them up. And these guys, I can just hear them now, can't you? Oh, God, what is this? We were serving you. Look how you reward us. No, they understood the battle that were going on. They were worshiping and praising the king for the privilege of serving. And they worshiped and prayed, and blood's running down their back. It's dripping off of their backside onto the ground. Let me tell you, if you've ever seen anybody beaten with a cat of nine tails... I mean, if you ain't never been hit with a bullwhip, one lick, you don't know what you've missed. But if you've been raised up on the farm, out there around a bunch of bulls, and you got a daddy or mother men that's out there, and they're popping their bulls, 
I guarantee you're going to be in the wrong place once in a while. And just on the backlash, when they're going to hit one of them, one of them is going to hit you or run it across your back. And when it does with a shirt on, let me tell you, you don't never forget that. I'm telling you, just one lash with a bullwhip will change everything where you do business. You will make sure next time you know where that thing's at. All it takes is one. I can only imagine if somebody were to take me out there with a bullwhip with just one leather lead on it and hit me 39 times with it. I can only imagine what my back would look like, especially if they were trying to do damage to me. But I can only imagine a cat of nine tails, nine leather straps with pieces of bone and steel in them. And they hit me 39 times with that thing. I can only imagine what I would look like at the end of that. Paul did that five times. And one of those times, here he is, and is he grumbling and complaining? No, he's worshiping God. Well, where is God then if he's worshiping? Well, I don't understand the battle, but I do know when he worshiped him till midnight, what happened at midnight? The angels came, there was an earthquake, and the doors were all open, and they were all released, and everybody got saved, including the jailer. See, we don't see God's picture, do we? We don't understand it. But you let one of us just get cut off in traffic. They didn't even hit you. You don't blank it, blank it in, I'll get you. And that's Christians. That's nothing. In fact, a woman told me here a while back after I led her husband to Jesus, she said, Thurman, you have no idea the impact you've had on my husband. I said, what do you mean? She said, before he got saved, somebody cut us off in traffic. She said, I thought, I feared for my life. I said, he'd run them down. She said, we went through traffic, 80 miles an hour, right on somebody's back bumper because somebody cut us off. He said, he's trying to kill them. She said, there's times I thought, oh, Lord, Lord. I said, you got him saved? I said, now that we drive down the road, somebody cuts him off. I said, Lord, bless that man. Watch him. She said, Why? She said, my life's become a whole lot more comfortable since my husband got saved. When you really get saved, it makes a difference in the way you do business. Isn't that amazing? But see, this husband of hers, the way he got him saved, here he's lost. He comes down to my office one day, and he wants to do some paint work for me. I said, are you a Christian? Nah, he said, my wife goes to church, but said, nah, he said, I guess I'm a Christian. I said, no, you're not a Christian. If you're a guest, you're not a Christian. Oh, well, he said, I, mean, I, I got to work on Sunday. My wife goes to church. I said, oh, the devil's deceived you. He said, the who? I said, the devil. Oh, he said, I don't believe there's really a devil. I said, I know, but he's real. So I took him to lunch, and I sat there and talked to him about Jesus during the whole hour. And then he done some paintwork for me. And the next two or three times I saw him, all I did, as I talked to him, I talked to him about Jesus. And then I tell him how Jesus not only loves you and wants to save you, but he's a healer. He said, this guy's crazy. You know, he's nice. He wouldn't say anything. He just listens. So one day I called him. I said, hey, I'm going to be looking for you in the morning to come paint this uh, hallway I got down here. I need painted. He said, oh, Thurman. He said, I can't make it. He said, I twisted my knee today and I'm sitting here right now. I had to cut my britches off with a pair of uh, scissors. He said, my knee is at least twice its size. It hurts so bad I can't even put it down to go to the doctor. I said, oh, how would you like for me to pray for you? Oh, he said, Thurman, I was hoping you would ask. Isn't that amazing? A lost man. I said, Jesus.
told me to ask anything in his name and he'll do it. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. Now, did he tell you to do things in faith? If he, if he tells you to ask for anything, what do you think he meant, brother? That's what he meant. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to heal Larry's knee and make it completely well. And I said, so he can come to work and paint this hallway for me in the morning. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done. I said, see you in the morning, Larry. Be here at 8 o'clock. You hear any faith in that? I hung up the telephone. The next morning at 8 o'clock, he, before 8 o'clock, he walked in my office. He's shaking that leg. He said, Thurman, I ain't never seen nothing like this in my life. I said, what happened? He said, you prayed for me and hung up that phone said, you'd see me in the morning at 8 o'clock. And he said, in the next few minutes, I sat there and watched my knee go from twice its size to normal within a matter of a few minutes. And I got up and walked all over the house and said, I ain't had a pain since. Will that get somebody's attention? I said, now, that confirms to you that Jesus that I've been teaching you about is real. He said, don't worry, I won't sin no more. I said, oh, okay. I said, I need to talk to you about Jesus. He said, he said well, I, I'm, he said, I'm really interested in that. Well, it wasn't but a few days I led him to Jesus. Got him saved. I mean, now then, he's come into the kingdom. Well, it wasn't too many weeks from that later. I called him and I said, brother, I got another job over here for you to do. He said, Thurman, I can't do it. I said, what do you mean you can't? What's wrong with you now? He said, I don't want to, I ain't going to tell you. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know how to pray for you if you don't tell me. He said, Thurman, he said, I, 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 I just can't, I just can't tell you. I said, well, let me ask you this question. You got saved a few weeks ago. Have you been going to church? He said, well, I went faithful with my wife every Sunday for, I don't know, four, five or six Sundays, what it was. And then he said, I took a Sunday off and, you know, and then I went the next Sunday, and then I skipped one or two. And he said, now then, I can't go to church. I said, what's wrong with you? Okay, he said, I'll tell you. He said, in the last couple of weeks, I've had my hemorrhoids lanced three times. And he said, I'm in such excruciating pain. He said, I can't do nothing. And they said, they can't do nothing else with them. I said, good grief. Why didn't you call me? You saw the Lord healed your knee. I said, let me pray for you. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. And I called the Lord in remembrance of a scripture. I said, I'm a son of God. You sent me to do the same thing you sent Jesus to do. I'm praying a prayer of faith for him. I'm rebuking that enemy in Jesus' name. And I quoted a promise out of God's word. I said, Father, touch him and heal him. Now, he's your son. He's a new son. He don't know nothing about the word. But I said, Lord, I'm asking you to be merciful to him and heal him and bring him back to work tomorrow in the name of Jesus. I said, now, I'll see you in the morning in Jesus' name. He walked in my office next morning. He said, my goodness, in minutes after you prayed that prayer, my hemorrhoids stopped bleeding. They stopped hurting. And he said, I'm completely healed this morning. I mean, is Jesus, is his word true, yes or no? Why? You know what? That totally changed that man's life. Totally. That brought his son that was rebellious into the kingdom. He started telling his son, Son, you're not going to believe this crazy guy I met that prays for the sick and they get healed. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it wonderful that Jesus is still a healer? Oh, I mean, is he really the healer? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't have, I mean, she knows now Jesus is a healer. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? People say, well, 
I don't know, like that, I get a tickle that that doctor of theology, when I was down there with that group of men here a while back, he was saying, Thurman, you're too concerned about teaching people about healing. He said, you need to be teaching people about salvation. He said, healing's not important. I said, well, if you're well, healing's not important. But if you've been down sick 15 years and you already know Jesus, healing is very, very important. Y'all all know what I mean. If the devil has come upon you and put sickness and disease upon you, then healing is very important. Very. Sure, if you're well, it's not a major problem. But the Lord has made this provision for us. And in Acts 10, 38, if God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed or under the power of the devil, for God was with him, then if sickness and disease comes from the devil, then the devil's got power to make people sick. Is that right? The devil has power to make people sick. Okay, turn to 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. Actually, let me start at verse 3. Because I quoted this verse to you a while ago. First John 3, 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now then, if we're sons of God, are we supposed to be pure? Are we supposed to sin? No. We as Christians are not supposed to sin. We have this hope, Christ in us, hope of glory. We are not to walk in no kind of sin. We are to walk holy and clean and be pure before our King. Then he says, because verse 4, Whosoever commit a sin transgresses the law. So if you commit sin, are you guilty of transgressing the law? That's right. Whosoever commit a sin transgresses the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Now then, if we're walking in love, we're walking in faith, we're under grace, we're up here, we're not under the law as children of God. So no devil can touch you up here on this plane. No devil can touch you. The executive department, which is of the spirit world, which is Satan and his host, those demons cannot touch you as long as you're walking in obedience to God's word, in love, in faith. But if you step down from love and faith, and you go over and start talking evil about your neighbor. You're going to say, you know, this old boy was sitting up here on the front row. I tell you what, I don't like that guy. I mean, he got up and said something to me a while ago, and I mean, I don't like him. Good grief, I don't know who that dummy thinks he is, but he said some things that I don't like. Do you hear anything evil in that? Do we talk like that? Oh, do you know that they did something dumb? You know, this brother right here, I mean, I saw him up here. You know, I don't like the way he does that. He said something to me, and that's all we do is talk evil about people. I know none of y'all ever done that. But let me show you how you transgress that law. When you transgress that law, I want to take you to 1 Peter 3 from John. I want you to go to 1 Peter Hold your place there in John. We're not through there. 1 Peter 3 and verse 10. And I want you to see what the Scripture says right here. This is under our law. The new covenant. 
This is the law of the new covenant. Verse 10, 1 Peter 3.10, For he that will love life and see good days. Now, I like that part, don't you? For he that will love life and see good days. Now, I love life and I want good days, don't you? Well, there's a comma there. And then it says, Let him or her refrain his tongue from evil and let him and let his, and his lips that they speak no guile or deceit. Let him eschew or run from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. You mean, Lord, I can't talk evil about sister so-and-so, although she did all these bad things? He said, oh yeah, you can talk about her if you want to. But what's he going to do? You ain't going to have a long life and see good days. There's a consequence. The other day there was a lady sitting right back there. And at the end of the teaching, she said, Mr. Scrivener, I have got to give a testimony this evening or I'm going to bust. I said, okay, go ahead and do it. I said, okay, what is it? She said, for the last month at my job, all I had done was grumbled. And she said, after about two weeks of grumbling, I started getting a severe cramp and pain in my neck. I couldn't even straighten my head up. And she said, the more I grumbled about my job, and then I'm grumbling about this. She said, the worse it got. And she said, tonight, when you were sitting here teaching on these things, I thought, oh God, that's how I've messed up. That's all I've done is grumble and complain. It's opened the door to a demonic spirit to put this on me. She said, Lord, I repent and I will never grumble again. And she said, the minute I said that, I was instantly healed and my pain went away in my neck and I was healed. And said, the last hour you've been teaching, I can't hardly contain myself because I want to get up and tell you. But she said, I've gone an hour with no pain. All I did was repent. Did anybody have to pray for her? No, all she had was repent. When she repented and said, Lord, I won't talk evil no more. He said, oh, I got your attention now. Bam. And the devil had to leave and she got healed. Is that awesome or is that awesome? Now then, you got a testimony you want to give? Come up here, brother. Praise God. Come up here. Tell us what Jesus has done for you. Do you remember the first time you saw me? Oh, yeah, Rusty. I remember you well. I know. Praise God. Come on up here. Tell us. Come on up here a little closer. Tell us what Jesus is doing for you. Put that microphone where you can talk. I have come several times. Here, oh yeah. And you've prayed for me quite a few times. Yeah. My problem was I knew every time I would ask God, "Why aren't you healing me?" Because of verses I went through the verses that you gave and found some. And he, every time I'd ask him, he said, "I have healed you." And I said. I still can't feel my toes, I still can't walk, and I still can't feel my fingers, and I still have bad balance. He says, but you are healed. And I didn't know how to receive it. I knew. I used to get angry at God. We won't go there. But still, the thing is, is that finally, uh, I was listening to a CD of some sort, a musical CD on healing, and, it, and it, I, was, I woke up to it, and it was saying, as you believe, you will receive. And that stuck with me, and that night I was actually going to a singles thing, and happened to be the same guy who I'm taught on that, did the CD. 
And he was talking about healing. And I knew, he's prayed for me many times, and I, I believe he's a healer, and I, I have no, no problem with that. Jesus is a healer. I right, pray. right. Faith healer. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that God worked through you. Yeah, Let me rephrase that. Yeah. I apologize. I retract that. Still, I I never really believed. It was always hope maybe God will heal me today. I want God to heal me today. I really wanted I would walk around in Justin. I'd fall down, but I'd get back up. and I, I wanted to be healed. I didn't know how to receive it. And somehow, I don't know how, I received it Monday, the tw- uh, March 21st. Now, it's still a battle. I don't like that because I, my, um, I still can't walk very far without a cane. It, the legs are still weak. And there's some other things. But you know what? Just like your granddaughter, you had to fight for your granddaughter. Amen. And just like other people here had to fight the fight for, um, to walk in it, I'm going to do that. And I can Amen. do that Amen. through, through um, Christ. Amen. So, Amen. Amen. I've been wanting to um, come testify about that. Anyway. Amen. Praise the Lord, brother. Glory to God. Praise the Lord, brother. Jesus is a healer. He's a healer. Sometimes you get it real quick. Sometimes it takes a while. That's what Rusty kept telling me. He said, I want to be healed. I said, Rusty, he's already done it for you. It's already yours. You've got to believe and receive. He was trying. And with everything he could, he was trying. You know, but he just couldn't get there. But finally, it came. I mean, if you stay in the Word, if you stay in the Word, these words will finally become a revelation to you. When they finally become a revelation, when it's really... I mean, I remember one night, I went to a lady in a wheelchair. In fact, I'd been on the television, and, and been, I mean, on the phones on the television, and one of the ladies told me, said, Thurman, you've got to talk to this woman. This woman's been in a wheelchair 11 years. I talked to this woman for two and a half hours, building her faith. I said, can you walk? She said, absolutely not. You know, I said, well, let me show you what Jesus did for you. We went through these things for two and a half hours, showing her what Jesus done. Finally, I took her to a magnificent place in God's Word. In fact, as you saw what brings sickness and disease there in 1 Peter 3, hold your place in 1 John, but I want you to go back to, to uh, uh, Matthew 8, 17, and this is the verse that got this woman out of her wheelchair. I want you to turn with me in Matthew 8. And I, I, I took her, I said, Now, ma'am, do you believe this book is true? She said, Yes, I absolutely believe this book is true. I said, Okay, let's turn to Matthew 8. And I want to show you what Jesus said here in Matthew 8. And in verse 16, in Matthew 8, Jesus says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils or demons. What do these people have? Devils or demons? What was their problem? The devil. Who did Acts 10.38 say they were oppressed by? The devil. So the devil's our problem. And he, and he done what? He cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. How many did he heal? All. He's still that same healer today. And then he says in verse 17, I told her, I said, read that in your Bible that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself. Himself. Who's Himself? Jesus. Himself 
Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, wait a minute. I said, read that again. What did I say to you? Well, she says, himself. I said, who is himself? Well, she looked at that a minute and she said, well, it's got to be talking about who he's talking about up there in verse 16. So it's got to be talking about Jesus. I said, that's right. Himself. So I said, put Jesus there. Okay, she said, Jesus took our infirmities. I said, now wait a minute. Jesus took our infirmities? I said, are you a daughter of the king? She said, yes. I said, okay, put Jesus took Mary's infirmities. Now see, it becomes more personal right there, doesn't it? Jesus took Mary's infirmities and bare Mary's sickness. I said, what did that say to you? She said, now wait a minute, Thurman. Wait a minute. If Jesus took Mary's infirmities and bare Mary's sickness, she said, then why in the world do I have them? I said, well, ma'am, that was going to be my next question. She said, he's already done it. I said, yes, ma'am, he's already done it. Uh, she said, what am I supposed to do? I said, just throw your hands up and praise Him that you're healed. So she threw her hands and said, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you for healing me. I said, tell Him thank you. You don't have to be in that wheelchair no more. She said, Lord, I am so grateful. I am so sorry. It took me so long to figure this out. You bore my sickness, removed my disease. So, Lord, you didn't want me sick. You did it for me on the cross 2,000 years ago. She said, Lord, I want to thank you. I don't have to be in this wheelchair no more. I want to thank you that I don't have no pain in my legs no more. I want to thank you. You took this. You bear it. It's done. I'm healed. And I just want to praise you and thank you. So she just sat there with her hands raised, praising and thanking the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to sit in this wheelchair no more. Thank you, Lord, that I'm healed by your stripes now. I know what it means. I'm healed. After about 50 minutes, I said, ma'am. She said, what? I said, you praise him long enough. I said, get up and walk. And that lady stopped, and she looked around a minute, and she said, You know, I sat in this thing 11 years, Thurman, 11 years. She said, Thank you, Jesus. She put her hands down, she pushed up and stood up and walked right out of that thing. And that woman's never been in a wheelchair again to this day. 11 years she was in that wheelchair. What happened? She received something that had been done by the king 2,000 years ago. But who was keeping her down? The devil. Did Jesus, what did Jesus do to the devil? Well, let's go find out what Jesus did to the devil. Right there, he said, he bore our sickness, removed our disease. Then he comes over here, back over to 1 John. In 1 John, he says, in 1 John 4, where he said, whoever committeth sin transgresses the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. As a Christian, what do you not want to do? Transgress the law. You don't want to transgress the law. How do you not transgress the law? You walk in love. When you stay in love, are you ever guilty of transgressing the law? Absolutely not. What Jesus said, the fulfillment of the law is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. So when you walk in love, 
Then, when your brother cuts you off in traffic, instead of fussing at him and cussing at him, you say, praise God, Lord, bless that brother. Bless him. And if he's not a Christian, Lord, I'll rebuke the devil over that guy and I ask you to move by the power of the Holy Ghost and I sick the Holy Ghost on him and, Lord, bring him into the kingdom and fill him with the Holy Ghost and save him. And before the guy gets home, who knows, he may walk in and be under conviction and get saved and it may change everything in his whole family's life. You don't know the power. We don't know the power we have when we pray and say. I mean, just like Larry. That day when I prayed the prayer of faith on me, sitting there with his leg up, Twice his size. In minutes, his knee's completely healed. And then a few weeks later, pray the prayer of faith over his hemorrhoids. They're healed almost instantly. And because of that, that got his son saved, changed his life, changed everybody in his family's life. And I don't know, two or three or four years later, when I finally met his lovely wife, she came up to me and she said, Mr. Scrivener, I've heard Larry talk about you hundreds of times. I've never had the privilege, but she said, I want to tell you how much I love you. Why did that woman love me? Because it made her husband lovable. He, his life totally changed, and her life at home totally changed because he became a son of God. And when you become a son of God, you become a different person. You become a new creature in Christ. If you have never loved a man or a woman of God, you ain't never been loved. When you run into one that really knows how to love Jesus and knows how to do all things in faith, wow, you can experience love beyond your wildest dreams. It's awesome what God can do. It's awesome. Now then, let's see what he said there. In verse 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and Him, in him is no sin. Verse 6, whoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever sinneth has not seen him nor known him. Oh, I'm back in 1 John. I'm back in 1 John 3. I told you to keep your finger there in 1 John 3. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. 1 John 3. We're back to 1 John 3 and we're in verse 6 now. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever abideth in Christ sinneth not. So as long as you're abiding in him, can you sin? Nope. So where do we need to abide? In the king. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whoever sinneth has not seen him, neither known him. Woo! Little children... Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So if we live in righteous, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Because look what verse 8 says. He that, sin, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest or made known that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, wait a minute. If Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, then why are so many people sick and afflicted if sickness is a work of the devil? I mean, you may not have known it, but you've had some demons living in you. I know that now. You now know that. Well, let me tell you, everybody that I cast a demon out of that says, in fact, that's like this woman here a while back quite a while ago. I was over at a big crusade over in Fort Worth. 
and the man that was speaking, I know him, and there was a whole bunch of people there, probably a couple thousand. And he had so many people to pray for, I thought, well, I'll go down there, and maybe he'll let me pray for a few people too. So I get down there close to the front, and all of a sudden, here's a woman comes up to me. And I, she said, Thurman, what are you doing here? I said, well, I thought I might pray for a few of these people, as so many of them come down for him to pray for. And she said, well, I'm down here, and i got a bone spur in my foot. She said, are you still believing that everything's a demon? I said, yes, ma'am, everything that's pain or suffering is a demon. She said, I have a bone spur in my foot, and I come down here for him to pray for me, and you'll never make me believe that's a demon. That's just a growth on my foot. I said, ma'am, you want to get healed? She said, yes. I said, let me cast that demon out of you. She said, that's not a demon, Thurman. I said, woman, you want to get healed? And she said, Thurman, that's not a demon. I reached up and grabbed this woman like this and chuck her a couple of times. And I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. I said, that bone spur, that demon, come out. She's trying to get loose of me. She said, that's not a demon. She said, it don't hurt. I said, take your shoe off. She said, I got a pad in there in there. I said, take it off, tuck it off. I said, now stomp it on the floor. She said, it's gone. It's gone. I said, I told you it's a demon. <laughs> that amazing. We're so hard to believe. It's a demon. What? Why is it you think you can be so holy you can't have a demon? Well, let me tell you, the devil's our problem. We have to cast him out of ourselves on a regular basis. I mean, if a devil comes in and starts putting a pain, if you get a headache, guess who's there? A devil. Kick him out. You know, you wake up in the morning, you got a pain in your foot. It's a devil. Kick him out in the name of Jesus. Don't hesitate. Drive him away in the name of Jesus. Don't let him do this to you. Now then, he says right here, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning, and for this purpose his Son of God was manifested, he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, if Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, and sickness and disease is the work of the devil then He's given you and me power and authority over the devil. If He's given you and me power and authority over the devil, if sin is what opens the door to transgression of the law, and that's what brings these devils into us, then don't you think it's time we as the church start believing the King and stop sinning? When we stop sinning, then does the devil have legal right to us? No. No. Now, while we're right here in 1 John, before we take a break... In 1 John, turn over to the next page, 1 John 5, verse 17 says, And all unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. Well, I'm really glad. Because right above it, he said, There is a sin unto death, and you need not pray about that. Let me tell you, if all sin led to instantaneous, immediate death, guess how many people would be alive on the earth today? How many? Probably wouldn't be not one single one, brother. Not one. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Then he says in verse 18, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. In other words, if you are a true child of God, your goal every day should be to walk in love to all people with no sin in your life. You shouldn't be striving to see how close you can get to the lake of fire without getting burned. Some people do that. Oh, you see that flame over there? Yeah, let me get over and, well, look, the goat's giving away. Well, let me get back just a little. I want to walk. This is close. Yeah, let me warm myself over here over this flake of fire. 
No, I want to way over here in the middle. I want to walk right straight down. I want the devil's hell to be as far from me as possible, don't you? Because, you know, you can't ever tell. It might be like those movies you see. Some guy getting over here close to the edge, and all of a sudden the hand come out of there and grab your leg and jerk you off in there, right? Woo! That wouldn't be no fun, would it? But that's what the devil does. That's the way he works. So he says there in 1 John 5, 18, We know that whosoever is born of God does not sin. But he that is begotten of God, he keeps himself. In other words, you keep yourself clean and pure. And the last part of that, And if you keep yourself clean and pure, and that wicked one, which is the devil, touches him not. Now then, what does that mean? If the devil cannot touch you at all, then that means you're never going to have any pain or suffering or nothing. But what that word means in the Greek, he cannot attach himself to you. That doesn't mean he can't even put a, put a pain or a symptom on you. If he comes up and touches you and puts a pain in your side, or all of a sudden you get a sharp pain in your wrist, you know what the average Christian will say about that? Uh-oh, I must be coming down with arthritis. Or get a pain in... Oh, they tell me when your wrist starts hurting, if you work on a keyboard, you get carpal tunnel. I must be coming down with carpal tunnel. Christians talk like that. You have what you say with your mouth. So, when that devil puts that pain on your wrist, oh, devil, it's just you again. What do you not understand about the Word? The Word says, you cannot touch me or attach yourself to me so in the name of Jesus, according to Luke 10, 19, and 20, Jesus gave me all power and all authority over you. Now, in Jesus' name, get out. And the pain goes away. Now, that evening I went down here to pray uh, to a uh, pastor's conference. And me and this friend of mine, uh, we were going upstairs. And we got down to the bottom of the stairs. And there was a man with two carpal tunnel sleeves on. I walked up. I said, are you a Christian? He said, I sure am. I said, well, do you got carpal tunnel? He said, well, yeah. I said, you know, as a Christian, you don't have to have that. He kind of looked at me and said, I don't. I said, no, not unless you want it. I said, Jesus has already healed you and gave us power and authority over the devils. I said, so all we got to do is rebuke him. He'll leave. He said, really? I said, sure. I said, now, do you want to be healed or you want to keep them things on? You want to be sick? It's your choice. He said, well, I want to be healed. I said, can you make a fist? He said, oh, no, I can just barely pull my fingers down. I said, okay. I said, if you want to be healed, let me have your wrist. And he held them up. And the man was with me. said, can I lay hands on him with you? I said, are you ready? He said, well, I think so. I said, no, you've got to know so. He said, well, okay. Okay, I'm ready. I said, okay. So I reached up and grabbed his wrist, and he reached over and touched him. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you demons of carpal tunnel to come out of him in the name of Jesus. According to Luke 10, 19, 20, I said, now you guys are out. I turned him loose. I said, now, sir, you're healed. Jesus has healed you. Make a fist. And he says, he said, wow, this is awesome. I said, take them things off and throw them away. You don't need them. And this guy was amazed at what he had just saw. Well, we went to the pastor's conference, four hours, went home. That night at 1 o'clock or 1.30 in the morning, the man was with me. woke up with splitting pains in both wrists. Where'd that devil go? Into him. Why didn't he go into me? He knew there wasn't no chance with me. 
he knew, I knew who he was, but he thought he might deceive that guy. That guy lay there in pain and suffering for a half hour. And then he finally thought, hey, this is what Thurman meant. Was I ready? He said, Lord, I repent. Them devils that was, he cast out him coming to me. He said, you devils of hell, out in the name of Jesus. And pain left. He ain't had a pain since that day. Now see, they were trying to attach themselves to him. Now then, what if he had to give them legal rights and said, oh my goodness, I'm coming down with carpal tunnel. They would have then had legal right to attach themselves to him. But because he didn't allow them to do that, he cast them out and he was set free. See, we are sick and diseased in the church because of a lack of knowledge, just like I was for 45 years. Just like this precious little daughter of the king for 15 years. All that money she spent and, and your parents spent and everybody else spent and the devil had been defeated 2,000 years ago and you didn't know it. Doesn't that break your heart? To think what we do and all we got to do is come to Jesus by faith and trust him. And he don't charge anything, does he? Ooh, isn't it fun to learn these things? I love it. Every one of you in here today that's been healed, just like Rusty. I mean, Rusty come. I mean, he struggled. I mean, he think I want to be healed. But just like he said, it's already been done. And when you get to where you believe it's already been done, it won't be no time now. He'll really be running and playing. Hey, <laughs> you receive that, do you, Rusty? I'm gonna tell you the last time you were here, you couldn't jump up and stand up like that. I'll tell you for sure. Woo! I mean, he's been in a wheelchair. Every time he's come here, he's been in a wheelchair. Yeah, something. He's never been here doing what he's doing now. He's getting a hold of these things. Isn't God awesome, ladies and gentlemen? Praise the King, praise the King. Okay, what we're going to do, it's... Uh, he was a Catholic boy, and he served Jesus on Sunday. But he didn't realize the importance of making him God seven days a week. He only made him Lord one day a week. And in the other six, he was in the world. All he had a family and everything. He was getting, he came down with these tumors and everything, and he couldn't do anything. And then when they sent him down to the hospital and he'd done the test, they finally told him, there's not anything we can do, just go home and die. That's all we can do. And then a friend of his wife knew me and she told them about us and they lived I believe in the Sherman or Denison area and he came down here with his wife with a wheelchair set right here and it was on a Sunday and I taught for about an hour and a half and I taught all about healing for him and when I got through I walked up and I, right here in front of everybody I said Richard do you believe everything I've said today out of this book he said I do I said, then stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. His wife immediately said, sir, he's paralyzed in the waist down. He can't walk. I said, ma'am, I don't want to hear that word out of your mouth no more. I said, if Jesus healed him, I said, it's done. I said, just keep your mouth shut. I said, now, Richard, stand and walk in the name of Jesus. And he shot up. A man that was paralyzed, he shot up like this. And when he did, his wife just... And he did too. And I said, Richard, quick, 
before you, the unbelief gets you, I said, walk. And he stood there. And I said, walk. He took one step and he fell. Right down on the platform here. I reached down. A couple of guys got up. We picked him up and I said, Jesus Christ has healed you. I said, now you go. I rebuke every cancer in your body. They're gone in the name of Jesus. About two months later, about a month later, he went back to the doctor for a checkup and there wasn't a cancer or a tumor left in his body. And a month later, he came back here like Rusty while ago, walking, giving his testimony. He's healed, but he's a different Catholic today. I guarantee God has become extremely real to that Catholic boy. And instead of making him Lord one day a week, he's making him Lord seven days a week. Is that what God wants? Yes. yes, that's what he wants. And what we don't realize, whenever he says we commit spiritual adultery when we put anything before him, we don't realize the significance of that. So in the spirit world, it's difficult for us to grasp, okay, I come to church on Sunday, and maybe I go on Wednesday, but then I ought to be able to do what I want to do the rest of the week without a problem. But... When people say that, I say, well, are you married? Or do you have a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever? Well, yeah, I'm married. I said, okay, so I'm your husband and you're married and you're sick. I said, let's just say that you're well and let's forget about the spirit side of this world. Let's just take the physical world and you're married to me and I'm your husband. And you love me and I love you. And I said, I come home to you on Sunday and Wednesday. But Monday night, I go home with another woman. I said, would you like that? She said, well, absolutely not. I said, okay. If you're not willing to share your husband four or five nights a week with another woman, then why do you think God would want to share you four or five days a week with the world? Whoa, people never think about it like that. But when they begin to see that, then the first thing you do every morning when you wake up, you're praising him. You're worshiping Him. That's the first thing you think about. When you're going to work, instead of thinking about that job, you're saying, Lord, I want to thank you that you gave me this job and that I want to bless you and worship you. When you walk in your workplace, instead of thinking about the job, you're thinking about Jesus. Now, Lord, how can I do a good job for these people today? You bless me, give me knowledge, wisdom, and understanding how to do a good job as I work for these people today. And everything I do, may it bring glory and honor to your name, in the name of Jesus. Now see, when you do it God's way, you go through the day without sin. You don't think about the things of the world. You walk holy before him. And then, these scriptures we're talking about where it says, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. He destroyed the works of the devil. He did that 2,000 years ago. So now then, we either walk in that, or we let the devil beat up on us, one of the two. The devil's still here. He destroyed him, but he didn't annihilate him. And that's the difference. He's still here. Why is he still here? He's still here to be the executive force behind the spirit world. Now then, what does that mean? Well, did Jesus tell us to not sin? Yes, he did. Did he tell us as Christians to obey the laws of the land? Yes. How many people do you know that are Christians that obey every law of the land? 
How many Christians, you know, that when they're running down the road and the light turns yellow and you've got plenty of time to stop, but you speed up so you can get through it before it turns red, at least when you're under it. You broke the law. You were not supposed to speed up to get through that. And, and if the speed limit says you're supposed to drive 60, how many Christians go 65 and 70 trying to stay just under where they think the law won't stop them? But they don't mind breaking the law. Why do you think we have police officers out there? So, when you break the law, they stop you. Why do you think God kept the demonic spirits? When you transgress the law, they're there to enforce it. How do they enforce it? What if you're about talking about somebody evil? What instead of running from evil, what if you're talking evil about someone every day? Hey, As you talk evil about someone, did he tell you not to do that? Well, if you do that, guess who's going to come by your house? The devil. Do you think you might have pains and aches and stomach aches and cramps and everything else that you would never have had if you were not talking evil about people? Did he tell you to talk evil about them? No, he said don't do that. Did he tell husbands, love your wives so that your prayers be not hindered? Did he say that? Oh, well... Nobody knows, you know, you're nice to your wife at church. But when you leave church, you can read her the right act on the way home and nobody will know but her. You can just tell her. You know, you can be mean to her if you want to. Yeah, you can if you want to. But you ain't going to have good days. God will see to it. And is is it going to do any good for you to come and pray and ask for anything? No, the king says, Husbands, love your wives so that your prayers will not be hindered. You know what that means? It means if you're not loving your wife, there is no use in you coming asking God for something. Well, but he didn't, he didn't know when I got mad at my wife. Yes, he does. He knows because he's in her just like he's in you. You can't get very much closer to the king than that. Did he say, wives, submit to your husbands? Hmm. I think about this wonderful story the other day. I had a man come to me, and he'd had uh, terminal cancer along with many other things, and he had become complacent to the things of God. And in the last ten years, as a man of God, the devil had beat up on him severely. And he came to me, and we showed him his sin. He got right with God, got everything repented of, and got healed of everything. He had crumpled on so bad, he had, had uh, surgery on one hand, but he didn't want to have it on the other one. But he still had severe pains in both hands. But after praying for him, he's been healed of everything. Carpal tunnel, everything. I mean, no cancer, no nothing. He's extremely happy. But he brought his daughter here with him and his wife the other day. And when they came, that Sunday I happened to preach on husbands and wives. And he said, oh my goodness, of all things for Thurman to speak about... He said, my daughter has been married to my son-in-law, I think about 20 years, and said she has never submitted to him, never, in the 20 years. He said, she'll probably get up and walk out. said, she won't stay, but she did. And he said, after the service was over, on the way home, I asked her what she thought about the message, and said she wouldn't even speak. He said, we get home, and I thought, whoops, we get home, back to where they live, about an hour and a half drive from here. He said, when we got there, my daughter got out and ran to the house. I thought, in a big hurry. 
I thought, what is wrong with her? Said, I get in, she's in there confessing and repenting to her husband. I'm sorry, honey, that I haven't repented. and I haven't submitted to you. I heard today the consequences that it brings into our family for me not doing what God told me to do. And I want to repent to you and to God, and I'm going to submit to you and do whatever you tell me to do. The father said, you know, when our grandson was born, he had warts all over his hands, and he's 17 years old, and he's had them for 17 years. He said, now then, I believe after listening to Thurman, I believe we can now pray the prayer of faith since you and your husband have come in line with each other, and I believe now we can get those warts off of that boy. For 17 years, I hadn't been able to get them off. He said, the daddy said, well, he's out somewhere. And I don't know where he's at. He said, let's go in and just lay hands on his bed and pray. He said, we went in Sunday night and laid hands on his bed and prayed and rebuked the devil. And three days later, that boy didn't have a wart on his body. Now, is that amazing? See, if you give the devil legal right through your sin, he just laughs at us as Christians. But like Cheryl and Christy sing, he give us. A will. You want to know what his will is? Read it. When you read it and study it, you'll find out that the king destroyed the works of the devil. If he destroyed the works of the devil, let's step back to Hebrews 2.14. And let's just get another picture of this. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says... For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now how in the world did that happen? Is there a law? On this earth, that if you take the life of an innocent man, what happens to you? Do you have to suffer the consequences? In the Old Testament, he said, if a man takes an innocent man's life, his life shall be required of him. It makes no difference if we fulfill that or not. God always will. That's the way it's written. So in the judicial system, it's written that no man shall take the life of an innocent man. But Jesus was an innocent man. Did he ever commit any kind of sin? No. Never committed not one sin. Did the devil have any kind of legal claim to Jesus? No. Because he never sinned. Did he have any legal claim to us in the garden until we sinned? No. When he deceived us and we sinned, then we opened the door and we gave our dominion to him and transferred our allegiance from God the Father to the devil. And we became children of the devil. And after that, every child that was born was a child of the devil. And he had legal claim over us for 4,000 years. So he killed us anytime he wanted to with no problem. No problem. But when Jesus came 4,000 years later, and he had no sin, 
The devil did everything he could to get Jesus to fall like he did Adam and Eve. But he'd never done it. So finally he said, I'm going to kill him anyway. And so he moved on the hearts of men and women with his demonic spirits. And those people, even though there was no sin in him, they knew it. And they still nailed him on a cross and killed him. First Corinthians, Paul told us, if the principalities and powers had have known, they would have not crucified the Son of Glory. People said the Jews killed Jesus. People said we killed Jesus. No, the principalities and powers killed Jesus. Satan and his host of demons, they did it through man. The scripture says clearly in 1 Corinthians, if the principalities and powers had have known what they were doing, they would have never crucified the Son of Glory. But when they did crucify him, Satan and his host was responsible for killing an innocent man. Now then, that's what makes this scripture in Hebrews 2.14 come to life. By becoming a protector of flesh and blood. And by dying, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Because the day that the devil's demons killed Jesus illegally, they committed the biggest blunder of their life. Now then, Satan's been destroyed. He's killed an innocent man, the first one in 4,000 years that he had no claim to. That's how Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, by doing that. By doing that, now then, when he dies and goes to hell, and his soul laying in the lowest hell, Satan thought, well, we will have a heyday and torment him. All of the wrath of the Father was being poured out on him for the sins of who? The whole world. All of us. But after the wrath of God had been satisfied, because there was no sin in him, he sent the Holy Spirit down there. And I can only see the Spirit of Jesus in hell as it's being tormented when all of a sudden the Father says, That's it. That is what is required now then, the price for sin has been paid. And I can just see Jesus' spirit raise up and come back to life. And I can see this party that's going on in hell. I can see the fear in Satan's eyes when he sees Jesus stand up. And I can see him as he walks over to him and snatches away from him the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He said, now then, I have the keys. Of death, hell, and the grave. And all power in heaven and in earth been given to me. Whoa! Isn't that awesome? And now he comes back up to where breathing men are. And he walks on the face of the earth. And as soon as he clears the grave and he walks out that third morning, it says the tombs of those that were looking forward to the coming of Jesus, they opened up in Matthew Chapter 27, verse 52, and it says, And the Old Testament saints came out walking alive all over the earth. Can you imagine this scene? They arose from the grave, and people were seeing these men and women. Wow, Simeon, you died 30 years ago. He said, I know, and I've been down in paradise, but and I looked over into hell, and he said, you don't want to go down there, let me tell you for sure. But he said, I'm alive and well now. And so for the next 40 days, 
those men and women walked in the streets of Jerusalem. And they saw all these wonderful things. And then one day Jesus goes out on the hill and he says, Guys, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now then, I gave you power on earth to kick out devils, to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. Now I said, I want you to go into all the world and preach this great and awesome truth to every creature, everybody, and to everybody that will believe it. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he said, then teach all the new converts everything I have commanded you to do. He commanded them to walk in love. He commanded them to have no sin. He commanded them to go save the lost, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. And we have done a lousy job in all of it. All of it. We have done a lousy job of believing this book. But like Cheryl and Christy sing, if you, when you start reading this will, you find out what his will is. You know his will is? You know how much sin he plans for the church after we get saved to commit? Zero. No sin. No sin. He says, therefore, if you commit no sin, the evil one can't touch you. Which he's the one who puts sickness and disease upon you. If you're walking holy before God. It's like this brother up here. He has had Agent Orange. He was in Vietnam just like I was. Now then, when I was in Vietnam, I saw men that when we got off of airplanes and came down there, we were one of the very first bunch in there in the early 60s. and Actually, late 63 was when I was there. I was with the first bunch of Americans that went into Vietnam. The Surgeon General came to us and said, Guys, whatever you do, don't none of you men go downtown to these whores that are down here. He said, these whores down here, all of them have got from one to three incurable venereal diseases. And there ain't nothing you can do that will protect you from some of them. So he said, don't go to town while you're here. And you know what some of them men did? They went down there anyway. And you know what happened to them? They got some of those diseases. Some of the men that were friends of mine that were married men that had children back at home got incurable venereal diseases and there's not a thing in the world except the power of God could heal those men. And of course, I didn't know nothing about the healing power of Jesus when I was over there. Oh, and some of them even got leprosy. Yeah. See, all kinds of things we got. How did the devil... How did the devil come and put leprosy and incurable venereal diseases and everything else upon these men? Through sin. When you transgress the law of God, is that sin? Yes. Now then, is lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, is all those transgressing the law? Yes. Does that give the devil legal right to get you? Yes. Can you be forgiven for those things and healed? Yes, you can. I'm going to tell you, we serve an awesome, gracious God. If I had been God, you wouldn't want me to be God. Because if I had been God and I wrote a book this clear, with this kind of detail, and I'd have given it to you and told you to read it, and you'd have made all the mistakes, I'd have said, go ahead and die. See, aren't you glad I'm not God? Yes, you're glad I'm not God. But he is the most gracious and merciful God there is. That's just like this is a joke, of course. I don't tell many jokes, but 
this is kind of this is kind of the way it really is. A man goes in to get a haircut, and he goes in and says, "I need a haircut." So the guy cuts his hair, gives him a shampoo and all that stuff, fixes him all up, and he says, "By the way, are you a Christian?" And the barber says, "Nope, I don't. Believe, I'm an atheist. There ain't no such thing as God." He said, "What do you mean?" He said, "There's no such thing as a God." He said, "You see them kids out there in the poverty?" He said, yeah. He said, if there was a God, he'd do something about that. He said, you see all this crime that's going on down here? He said, if there was really a God, he'd put a stop to that stuff. Well, this guy wasn't enough of a Christian to know how to answer that. So he thought, hmm, well, okay. So he gets up to walk outside, and the guy said, well, I'm fixing to go to lunch. And he, as they walk out, he said, well, I'm going to walk down the street with you. So he said, we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden this old straggly-headed guy, I mean, dirty, filthy, needs a shave, needs a haircut, everything else. And all of a sudden, this barber is right there beside him, and the guy just got the haircut. He said, you know, I don't believe in barbers. What do you mean you don't believe in barbers? He said, there ain't no such thing as barbers. He said, you're crazy. You were just in my chair. I cut your hair and everything. He said, no, if it was barbers, there wouldn't be nobody like that on the streets. He said, what do you mean? I'm a barber. I just cut and shaved you and everything, and you're all clean cut. He said, I can't do nothing for people like that until they come to me and ask me. And the man says, oh, you don't go out and get them, huh? He said, no, they have to come to my barber shop. Then I can do something. He said, that's what's wrong with the world. God is there. He's very real. And everybody that comes to him and asks him for something in faith, he does it for them. You see where I'm coming from? So he got the man's attention. Now, why is so many Christians in the church sick? Why was I sick so many years? I was a Christian. I was serving him. I went to him, but I didn't know he was a healer. I didn't know it. But when I learned, Jesus not only wanted me healed, he said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Now, abundant life, does that include sickness and disease? Since you were one of the ones that were just healed recently, do you consider yourself to have been living an abundant life when you were sick for 15 years? Absolutely not. No. That little gal, she's going to be the first to tell you, just like Rusty to give his testimony a while ago, he wasn't living the abundant life either. But if Jesus come to give the church abundant life, then why is so few in the church walking in the abundant life? I'll tell you why. Because we spend too much time with the world and not enough time reading the well. When you read the will, and you find that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil 2,000 years ago, took away all of his power, and he bore your sickness and removed your disease on the cross, all you got to do is repent of sins, repent of sins of unbelief, drive out the devil, and then receive what's already been given. And when that happens, just like this brother right up here, he was saying, how long were you down with that crippling problem? And Six years. He couldn't hardly walk. He was in excruciating pain. Couldn't do nothing. And one day, the Lord, he was thinking, Lord, why? And the Lord whispered in his ear, it's already done. And when he got a hold of that, six years he'd been down. He said he threw away those canes. He kicked them things out the door. He hadn't been able to kick his foot. But he said, when I got a hold, it's already done. He said, I throwed away the canes, I kicked that thing away, and I took all that pain. I forget how many pains, he pills he was taking a day. Six or seven times a day for pain, I believe he said. 1,500 milligrams. 1,500 milligrams several times a day, you said, right? 
And he said, I take those things, I go in and flush them down the toilet and say, if Jesus has done all this for me, then I don't need this stuff no more. And he says, from that day to this, which had been several years ago, he's not been sick since that time. But yet he'd been down with that for six years. Why? Because he was just like I was. He didn't know the price had already been paid. When he got a hold of the fact, the price has already been paid. When did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. When did he do that? 2,000 years ago on the cross. Now then, turn to Colossians 2. Actually, I'm going to start in Colossians 1, verse 26. Colossians 1, 26. Even the mystery which has been hid. Well, let me tell you, the devil's done a good job of still hiding this. Even the mystery, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made known to his saints. Well, then why in the world don't the saints know this? Because the devil has still blinded our mind, we don't read the will. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So where is the healer? Is he in heaven? He's in there, in me. He's in you. The healer is in you. The Savior is in you. The Deliverer is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now then, he says there, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Every man what? Perfect in Christ? You ask the average Christian, do you think it's possible for you to be perfect? And you know what we'll say? Oh, no, ain't no way I can be perfect. Well, let me tell you, you just spit in the face of God again. You're supposed to be perfect. You're supposed to be working on being perfect. Your goal is perfection in Christ. That's the goal. You know, we're not, we shouldn't be as Christians out there seeing how much sin we can do and get by with it. We shouldn't be telling, seeing how many dirty jokes we can tell with the guys, looking at pictures of pornography with the guys at work, telling dirty stories about some nasty television program we saw last night on television. Oh, I've got to go home and watch this. Oh, man, that's awesome. I mean, they're just blood and guts, and I just love to see them kill all them people. Or let me go home with my computer game, and all it is is just killing and fighting and destroying. No Christian should ever be involved in that junk. Not never. You should never let your children be involved in those computer games that's killing, stealing, and destroying. If I'm a mother or daddy, I don't want that stuff in my house. But see, we open the door to the devil through our children teaching them how to kill from a computer. You don't realize how they do that. In fact, last night, I turned on the History Channel for a few minutes. I was outside working on the air conditioner while I'm waiting on the lines uh, to make sure they're holding a vacuum. I came in to get me a cup of hot tea, 
and I flipped on the TV to the History Channel. They were showing a special on aircraft, and I used to be a pilot, and I was also in the Air Force. So I thought, wow, this looks interesting. So I watched a few minutes, and they showed a picture of an airplane that they fly. They said, here is a man. He's flying this plane, and this plane is 2,000 miles from where he is. He's sitting in a room with computer screens, sitting right there, and this thing is attacking targets and blowing things all over the place and hitting them. In fact, one of the, one of the buildings they wanted to destroy in, in the, in the Mideast over there, uh, I forget which one it was, they had somebody Maybe Fox News had an antenna here, and there was a mosque right here, and they had a, a, a whatever it was, these other people, the terrorists, had a something they were doing right, and they wanted to knock down that antenna, and they were so close together, they didn't figure any human being could do it. So this guy, thousands of miles away, is sitting in a, in a room with computers and computer screens, and he's flying an airplane that's unmanned. With rocket, uh, with controlled rockets, and he sends that thing in, and that thing knocks that antenna out dead on, and there's not anybody anywhere close to it as being flown by a man 2,000 miles away. And it's more precise than done when a man is in the airplane. Can you imagine that? That's what we got. You don't have a clue what we got. They only show you things that they want you to know. They don't tell you the things they've got. You have no idea what we have. You know, I mean, when I was in the Air Force 40 years ago, I saw some things that blew me away. But today, with the technology we have, you have no idea what's out there and what they're doing. So, we think about these things and these mysteries and the things that we've got and what we can do. These mysteries have been hidden well from us as a church, but yet it's in Dad's will. He told us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're supposed to be, and then he says in verse 29, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Is he supposed to be working in you and me mightily? Yes. We're supposed to be doing things. We're supposed to be praying against the devil. We're supposed to be kicking the devil out of people. We're supposed to be going to the throne of grace, winning everybody where we work to the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be praying over everything we do. I don't care what you do. Just like one of the men, in fact, the gentleman, uh, uh, I believe it was Andy running the camera back there. It was either him or his brother one. I forget which. One of them was working with computer programs and said after they started coming to this church, they used to fight these computer programs for days. And then one day one of them thought, Thurman prays over everything. He said he was having, I forget now whether it was Andrew or his brother. He said, I was having a tremendous problem with a computer program. And so I thought, you know, Lord, I'll just pray about this. A day or two, he'd been struggling with this thing, trying to find out where the glitch was. And he prayed over it. And in minutes after prayer, he found the answer. Why, why didn't God fix it for him earlier? He hadn't prayed. In prayer, what can we do in prayer? Mightily. God can do mighty things for us. Now then, we as the body of Christ, when we start walking holy before Him, not only can we walk in divine health with no problems, and we walk in healing, where we don't never need to be prayed for for healing again, 
When you really get to that point, well, all you got to do is remember that any time a sickness or, or a disease tries to come up on you, make sure you have no sin. And if you have no sin, then just tell the devil where to go. When did Jesus heal you? On the cross 2,000 years ago. It's already done. Did he say clearly he bore your sickness and removed your disease? If he bore it for you and removed it, then why in the world do we have it? Because we let the devil do this to us. Now, will he try to do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can think of the last two nights, maybe, well, a couple, last two or three nights, where my little honey bunny here would wake me up at three or four o'clock in the morning. She'd say, honey, you got to pray. I got a pain in my right foot. Well, ain't no use in her laying there not sleeping. She's got a priest laying here in the bed with her. She reaches over and taps me and says, Honey, wake up. I reach down and grab a hold of her heel, her ankle, where it's hitting. I say, Devil, get out in the name of Jesus because it is written. And I quote the word to him. I said, Now, honey, you're fine. Go to sleep. Next morning I wake up. She wakes up. I said, Well, how are you doing? She said, You rebuked it. It went away. She said, Let me ask you this question. She said, I had been laying here for an hour awake rebuking it myself. But it wouldn't go away. So I finally decided to wake you up, and you did it, and it left. And I got healed, and I was able to go to sleep. Why do you think that is? Who did God make the priest of the family? Me. Who did he give the power to in the family? Me. Now, why didn't he go away when she rebuked him? If she'd have been in that bed by herself, more than likely he would have. But... With the priest laying her with her, she's supposed to depend on who to protect her? Her priest, her husband. And so when I rebuke it, I have been given all power and authority over the enemy. You see where I'm coming from, brother? That's why God told the men, I've made you men the priest of your home. You're to take the power and authority I give you. You're to pray over your children. Pray over your wife. When that devil comes upon your wife or your children, you're the man. You're to be walking holy before me. You're to come in. You're to lay hands on your wife. You're to rebuke that devil. You're to drive him out. He clearly says in James 4, 7, he says, Submit yourself to me. Resist the devil. How do you resist the devil? With the Word. You take the sword of the Spirit. Your daddy's will. And you don't go in and say, oh, God, if it be your will, will you please heal my wife? I can only see God say, oh, my goodness gracious. What am I, how long am I going to have to put up with you bunch of believing unbelievers? I mean, when his own disciples couldn't cast out that devil, they said, Lord, I brought my son to you, to your disciples, to cast out this devil, and they couldn't drive him out. I can just see Jesus when he went over there and said, Oh, you boys, let me help you all a little bit. You poor guys. You know, no, that ain't what he said. You know what he said? He said, You perverse and wicked bunch. How long am I going to have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I'll heal him. Woo! I can only imagine what he'd say to the church today. Can't you, brother? Woo! I mean, it wasn't his will to heal us. He said, I healed every one of you 2,000 years ago, just like I paid the price for every one of your sin 2,000 years ago. I bought your sin. 
I told you to die to sin and live unto righteousness. So why don't you obey me there too? But we don't do a very good job doing that either, do we? But I think it's time we start believing the will. And Jesus said, die to sin and live unto righteousness. What do we need to do? Die to sin and live unto righteousness. And when we do that, then when that devil comes upon your wife's foot, and she can't sleep, and he's down there cramping on her foot, and she finally says, honey, wake up. I got this terrible pain in my foot, and I can't go to sleep. I said, bring that foot up here. And she pulled out, and I reached out and get that healed, and I said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And he has to leave. That's just like the other day. The other day, I walk in, I'm back there in the computer room, getting ready to do some stuff, make radio shows and everything else, and she comes in. Honey, I've got to sing tonight, and I can't talk. Would you please pray for me? I'm going to make her get up. You don't need them on. You're just going to stand right here. She comes up to me whispering like that. And what I've done to her, if a normal, my normal Baptist brothers had walked up, they had thought I'd have lost it because I said, You devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And I can only imagine if somebody walked up and saw me and said, Thomas killing his wife. I said, I said, now you're okay. That devil's gone. I said, you can sing tonight. I guarantee in the name of Jesus. I said, now then, how are you doing? She said, oh, I'm fine now. And she wouldn't sing that night with no problem. But if you had seen me grab her by the neck like that and said, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. Y'all understand who we're fighting? It's not each other. It's the forces of darkness. They're the ones that are doing these things to us. And when our king said he's given us power over the devil, here's what we normally do. Oh, well, honey, I don't know what to do for you, but let me kind of, oh, God, if it be your will, will you please heal my wife? He says, kick that devil out of her. I've already healed her 2,000 years ago. You see this? You don't be gentle with the devil. If the king bore your sickness, removed your disease, you don't have to beg him to heal you. He's already done it. You've got to receive, just like you did, brother. You've got to receive by faith what he already done for you 2,000 years ago, right? right? And you walked around sick and afflicted and all that pain meant for six years, you said, right? Yeah, okay. And then you're asking God, when are you going to heal me? And he said, it's already done. Ooh, already done. Boy, when he got a hold of that, my lens, let me throw these crutches away. Praise the Lord, I ain't walking on these things no more. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has already done it. It's already done. But you don't have to yield to him. Just look what he says here. Let's, after this mighty mystery, that Christ in you the hope of glory. Think about this. Now let's go on in Colossians chapter 2 and let's go down to verse uh, uh, 13. Well, actually, let me start at verse 12 because somebody asked me this question a while ago. In verse 12, Colossians 2 says, You're buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. You're buried in him with baptism. When you're baptized, technically speaking, that's when you show that you've received what he's already done by destroying your sin. You died and you're supposed to leave that beast Dead in the water. 
Whenever they raise you up out of that water, you're supposed to be a new creature. You're supposed to walk in newness of life. How do you walk in newness of life? You leave the old beast down there. But too many of us, when we walk off in the baptismal tank, we reach down and get that beast and bring him up and throw him over our shoulder and take him with us. And when we do, you got a problem. Because as long as that beast is alive, you're going to sin. You leave him dead, he ain't going to sin. Paul said, if you leave him dead. Now then he says, and verse 13, and you being dead in your sins. Now how does God see us? Dead to our sins. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you some of your trespasses. Oh, he forgive you all of yours, huh? Hey, thank you, Jesus. Now then, when you got saved, how many of your sins did he forgive? All, all. Now then, so what if we sin after we get saved? We ain't supposed to, but if we do, will he forgive you? Aren't we glad? But when you sin, you open the door to the devil. Did you remember a while ago, sin is a transgression of the law? So when you sin, you open the door, the devil says, oh, I'm going to get you. I'm, i got legal right to you now. You say, Lord, I repent. I'm turning from my wicked way. I ask you to forgive me. I ain't going to do that no more. And if you get that done before the devil comes into you, you're okay. If you don't, then he's in there. Now you repent. Now you've got to drive him out. And that's the sickness and disease that's in your body. You drive. Once you repent, does he have legal right to be in there anymore? No, absolutely not. Can you drive him away? Yes, you can. Just like Rusty. It, just like this young lady up here. It didn't happen overnight. It took a little bit of time. With her, it didn't take too long. Some of you, it's taken virtually no time. There's some of you in here today that have been healed instantly when we prayed for you. Some of you have been healed just like that. It's amazing how that it works for some of you. I don't know how many people I've prayed for with back injuries. In fact, I don't, there must be a special anointing for backs. I even have people come here that halfway or two-thirds of the way through the teaching will get healed of a back injury, and I don't even get to pray for them. I think, Lord, you cheated me. I didn't even get to pray for them. You healed them before I even got to touch them. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. We've seen so many people healed with backs. It's just amazing what God wants to do. But he says, forgiven you all your trespasses, and then he said, and he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Good grief, what is that? What's he talking about? The law. The law. What did he do? Nailed it to the cross and blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And by doing that, by taking the law, which was against us and contrary to us, out of the way, look what he says. And by doing that, he spoiled or disarmed principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. He disarmed or spoiled the principalities and powers, Satan and his host of demons. So as long as you and I walk there, walk in love, if, if Satan has been totally disarmed when we walk in love, how much power does he have over us? Absolutely none. None. He cannot touch us. 
As Christians, we cannot be made sick. He cannot do this to you. But you've got to walk in divine health and you've got to walk in faith. You've got to receive this and walk in it. Because the very minute you start meditating on sin, when you start meditating on sin, what have you just done? You don't have to commit the act. All you've got to do is start thinking about it. See, under the law, you had to commit the sin. But under grace, all you've got to do is think about it. You get angry with your brother without a cause. Jesus said you're a murderer. Isn't that awful? You look at a man or a woman to lust for them in your heart and you don't even let nobody know you ever done that. You're guilty of adultery. Isn't that awful? But that's the way it is. Does that give the devil legal right? Absolutely. And he knows what you're thinking. You just think. In fact, I have seen a lot of men in church, in church, men of God, that when a pretty woman walks in, they will look at her everywhere except in her face. Isn't that amazing? As Christian men, where should we always look at a woman? In her eyes, in her face. We should never meditate on anything in a woman's body except her face. When you look at a woman in the face... Will you ever lust for her body? No. Hmm. So you never open a door to the devil. Never open a door to the devil. All you've got to do. And every woman knows where every man looks at them. Everyone. I have checked this out all over the world with women all over the world. And I've traveled the world over. I don't care if I'm in Japan. I don't care if I'm in Thailand. I don't care if I'm in India. I don't care if I'm in Europe. I don't care if I'm in Africa. And I've been all those places. As an airline pilot, I can be walking down the street and I can look over at a woman and, I, and she'd be walking down the street and I'm looking at her and I'm looking her right in the eyes and I don't care. I don't care. I've never seen a woman nowhere in the world that when she turns to look at me, you know the first place every woman in the world is looking at every man when she looks at him? In his eyes. I have never seen a woman... Look at me that wasn't looking at me first in the eyes. I mean, I've seen a many one that'll turn and they see I'm looking straight at them. They may go right on by me. But they never look except they look in your eyes. But I've seen a lot of men and most men never look at a woman in her eyes. They look at her everywhere except her eyes. That's why every woman looks in your eyes. She wants to know what you're thinking. So when you look at her, and you're looking at other parts of her body, she looks at you and she watches you. And when she watches you, if you start to raise your eyes back up to her, then she'll look somewhere else. But she will know, and if you're looking, when she looks at you, if you're looking her right in the eyes, she will feel very comfortable with you. she said, that's a nice man. He's looking at me in the eyes. He's not looking at me anywhere else. I looked at him ten times, and he was never looking at me. No, if he was looking at me, he was looking me in the eye. So I know that man is not a man that would think bad things about me. I can trust that man. But if every time she looks at you, you're looking at somewhere else. And I have seen, I walked into a place of business the other day, and there was three men standing there. 
And there was a real pretty young lady standing at the counter with a pair of short shorts on. And a little thing had about this much skin between the short shorts and the top. And those three men were standing there whispering, talking to each other. And I'm telling you, you it, took, it didn't take a rocket scientist to tell where those three men were looking. All three of them was looking at that woman in the same place. Isn't that amazing? Where should they have been looking? Somewhere else. Because when they were looking and meditating on that body, they were sinning. They were lusting. They were sinning. They were opening the door to the demonic world and they had no idea. They were opening the door to spirits of lust. And those spirits are going to come in and then those spirits are going to control those men. Those spirits of lust. Can you get those spirits out? Yes, when you repent and drive them out with the Word of God. Other than that, they're going to be there. And those men, the longer they do that, the more of those spirits they'll get. And it'll come a time where those men will do things that they would not normally do. And I've ministered to a lot of those kind of men that are 30, 40, some of them even 50 years old, that are still men that rape women. And they hate what they do. Some of them are Christians. Some of them have been Christian men. And I've, I've dealt with Christian men that would say, you know, I don't understand why at 40 years old or 35 years old, I don't understand why I can't control myself at times. I'll see a girl and I'll get her off by herself somewhere and said, I'll rape that girl. And said, I know better. I know I shouldn't do it, but I can't control myself. You know why they can't? Because they got a demon or several. You can get them to repent, and a man of faith can drive those devils out, and you can get that person completely set free. And I've seen that happen many times. People that absolutely could not control themselves, they get totally set free. Totally set free. You don't have to live there as a Christian. God come to give you freedom. He come to set the captives free. But you've got to do it His way. You don't have to have the spirits of lust. You don't have to have spirits of pain. You don't have to have sickness and disease. You don't have to have nothing but abundant life. But you have to do it His way. You can overcome everything. There's no sickness and no disease that God won't heal you from if you'll repent of your sins and ask Him to deliver you. He will do it. When you come to Him and say, Lord, I, whatever, I smoked cigarettes. I yielded to that demon. I have smoked cigarettes and or profanity or whatever it is. Lord, I've taken your name in vain and it just seems like I can't control this. I repent. You said in your word in Joel 2.32 that anybody that comes to you for deliverance, you will in no wise turn me away. So Lord, on behalf of Joel 2.32, I ask you to be merciful to me and deliver me from my profanity, from my nicotine or whatever it is. And now Lord, I want to thank you that I'm delivered in the name of Jesus. He will deliver you just like that and set you free. And you won't have to smoke another cigarette. You won't ever have to use another word of profanity. You can walk in God's anointing. It's a, I mean, He's made provisions. Where do you find all these things? In the will. You have to read it. And when you read it, you've got to believe it. Now then, if he spoiled or disarmed principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross, if he totally disarmed the devil, how much power does the devil have left? None until you yield to him. When you yield to him, now then, he has power over you. 
And you cannot drive him out as long as you have sin in your life. When you repent of your sin and you get rid of the sin, then God's power, which is in you, the Holy Spirit, will just move forth. That's just like that little lady sitting right back there the other night with that sin that brought that crick in her neck and that pain through grumbling and complaining. But who's the healer? In her. The minute she repented, that devil was kicked out just like that. All she had to do was repent of her grumbling. And instantly, repenting of grumbling, she was instantly healed. Isn't that amazing? Then, look what the Lord says here in verse 16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The body is of Christ. Now, are we under any of these things anymore? No. How many days a week are we supposed to worship God? Seven days a week. How many hours a day? 24-7. We're children of the Most High God. We're not trying to persuade God to do something He's reluctant to do when we pray for your healing. All you've got to do is repent of your sins. We drive out the devil and Jesus heals you. But you've got to believe it. You have to believe it. Now, the devil will hang on every way he can. He'll come to you. He'll torment you. He'll torment your mind. He'll do everything he can to keep you into a place where he can have legal access to you to get you to transgress God's law to walk in sin. The best thing, I mean, oh, he wants you to get where you're talking evil about somebody. Oh, he wants you to do that. So he can get legal right to you. You never think about pains and suffering Because you're talking about somebody evil. But the Lord told us not to do that. You know, we think about, we never think about, well, get up this morning, it's raining again this morning. Good grief! All it's done is rain the last three days. I guess that's praising God, huh? Is that not praising the king? It doesn't sound like praising him to me, does it you, brother? What you're doing is opening the door to the devil. And when you do, you're grumbling and complaining. And through grumbling and complaining, you're opening the door. The Lord says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Now then, let's go to this one place here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to show you something here. And I want to show you what brings sickness and disease. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you that you should be ignorant. Now, we're pretty ignorant as a rule. I certainly was most of my life. How that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they did all eat the same spiritual meat. And they did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with many of them, but with many of those people, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust or desire evil things as they also lusted. Neither should you be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Well, I mean, so so, so what's wrong with sitting down to eat and drink and to rise up and play? 
Well, it depends on what you're eating and drinking and what you're playing with. These people sat down to eat and drink and rose up in a drunken orgy. I mean, I don't, I think there's some things you might be able to sit down and eat and drink and rise up to play some things and God would be okay with that. But these people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play and it says, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. Now you remember the day when Moses walked down off the mountain and we've got two or three million people down there and they're having a drunken brawl and they're running around naked and having sex with people that's not their own mates? Can you imagine that scene? They just come out of Egypt and that's where the people lived in Egypt. They'd been trained well by the devils of hell. But that's not exactly God's way, is it? Not exactly. It says, neither let us commit fornication as some of them had committed and fell in one day 23,000. How would you like to have been those that left alive to bury 23,000 of them out there in the desert? Jen, how would you like to have been one of them, huh? Huh? It would it, have been better off if you'd have been one that died, wouldn't it? At least you wouldn't have had to have been out there. Because just think. you have any idea how many people 23,000 people are? And what caused them all to die? Fornication. They were all committing sexual immorality. Yeah. You got to go? Okay. Yeah, it's 5 o'clock. Huh? That's a real big pole. That's a real... And they didn't have any drag lines? No. And they didn't have any bulldozers? They didn't have none of that stuff, did they? No. So they had to dig it with a spade or what? Who knows where they got the shovels? Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. See, sometimes we... Did, did y'all forget something here, young lady? Uh, young lady, is this your stuff underneath the hill? Did you forget something? Okay, we just don't want you to go off and leave your stuff. Praise the Lord. No big deal. No big deal. We're fixing to quit shortly anyway. It says, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000. Well, if God didn't like fornication or sex out of wedlock back in those days, you think He likes it today? I don't think so. And so if they died back in those days, if you're a Christian today and you're, if you're, if you are a Christian that, and you've heard these scriptures taught on and you'll go out and commit sex out of wedlock, I'm telling you what, you've got something loose up here. You know. I mean, there is no way in this world I would have sex with a man, a woman, or anything else out of wedlock. Because you know what I would expect God to do with me? In fact, when Cheryl and I were going together, after the Lord told us to get married, somebody asked her a question. Have you tried him out yet? She said, what do you mean? Well, have you had sex with him? She said, no. Well, why not? I mean, after all, you're going to marry him. I mean, you, you don't want to marry him unless you think he might be okay. She said, if he were to have sex with me, God would kill him. And that's where she, that's where she was and that's where I was. And I'm going to tell you, I knew this scripture. And I'm going to tell you, I don't care. I'm going to tell you, I don't care. I don't care if Cheryl had walked in somewhere and jumped on the bed and stripped off naked and said, honey, let's have sex. I just said, I'm sorry. I can't go there. Ain't no way. Ain't no way. Why? God, what did God say? What did He think about sex before marriage? 
even though you're engaged to get married. What is it? You ain't married yet. It's still fornication. What did he do to these people? How many of them died in one day? 23,000. You think he was a little bit hot when he said, Death angel, get them. And 23,000 of them, and Moses began to intercede and said, God, please don't kill them all. He said, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to make a, I'll make a new nation out of you. He said, no, God, no. You promised you'd make a great nation out of them. He said, get out of the way, Moses. Get out of the way. I'm going to let them have it. I know, I'm upset. But Moses stood between the people and God. Do you know that God could have just struck him down and killed him in a second? You know, it took some kind of a man to do that. But because he did, God repented. And he stopped the death angel. But 23,000 of them had already died. And then he's trying to tell us, don't do this. Don't go out and do this. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents, demons. Neither murmur or complain. As some of them also murmured and complained, and they were destroyed of the destroyer. Who is the destroyer? The devil. Does it, do you think it pays good dividends to grumble and complain? So as Christians, why do we do that? Are we going to stop it? If we want to walk in divine health, you've got to. You cannot grumble and complain and talk about people and walk in divine health. And if you've been doing that, then you need to repent so when you come forward to be healed, you can stay healed. If you start grumbling and complaining, I guarantee the enemy will come to you. You're calling him in. When you start talking evil about people, I mean, you may be doing it at home only with your husband. But that's still sin. And it will still call these evil spirits to your house. You want to walk in divine health? I've told a lot of people, I said, you know, to walk in divine health, I almost had to put three layers of duct tape around my head. (laughs) Can you say anything? (laughs) For some of us, that's what it takes. One layer is not enough. It's flexible. I can still talk a little with one layer. But tell you get three layers of two-inch tape around your head, it's kind of hard to talk. But for some of us, that's what we have to have. You know? In fact, some of us almost have to just don't talk. You know, you'd get in a whole lot less trouble if you didn't talk. The Word of God says, you know, very clearly in Proverbs, the man that talks a lot is full of a lot of sin. And he goes on to say, you know, in Proverbs, that nobody knows you're a fool until you open your mouth. And then everybody knows. That's what, that's what the proverb says. I've been teaching on the, on the radio for a couple of weeks, and they're awesome what's in there. I was like, oh, Lord, I need to read this real often to keep me straight. Help me walk in love and holy before you. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in divine health. I don't want to ever have to have anybody pray for me for healing. I want to walk in divine health. So by walking in divine health, you have to do everything God says in his word. Everything. Not part of it. Everything. And if you do then the devil cannot come to you. So remember this when a thought comes to you. Just remember, you know, when let's say you're, you're, let's say you're working for somebody. And say you're, I, well, I'm, since I was an engineer, say you're working on an air conditioner for me. 
and you're an air conditioning specialist. And I walk up and I say, you know, I, I don't really like the way you're putting that filter in. I want you to put it down the line about three or four inches further. I say, well, okay, it'll work perfect right where I'm putting it. But he said, if you want it three inches down the line, I'll put it three inches down the line. So you put it in, you sweat it in, and I come back in a few minutes and I say, you know, I don't really like it right there. I want you to take it out and move it down six inches further. Okay. So he takes it up, moves it down six inches further. And I come back in a little while and I said, you know, I don't like it. Then I take it out and put it right back where it was when he first started. You know what the average guy says by that time? You idiot, can't you make up your mind? Am I paying him to do the job? I mean... You see what I'm coming? See what I'm coming? You know, you know what he should say? Hey, boss, if you want that sucker, take it in and out forty more times. As long as you pay me, it don't make no difference to me. If you want me to pick these rocks up and throw them over that fence, and then go over and get them, throw them back over here, I could care less. As long as you pay me, I ain't gonna grumble and complain. Because the minute he starts grumbling and complaining, guess what he's doing? He's opening the door to the demonic world. But the devil, he'll tell him after the first time I tell him to move it. He said, now why do you want to move it? I do it like this. I said, but yeah, but I'm the boss. I want it moved down here. Well, okay, I'll move it down there. Reluctantly. So he does it. But when I come to him the second time, he said, no, I don't like it. I want it done. Are you a fool or what? You know what the Lord says when you call somebody a fool? He said, you're in danger of hellfire. Ooh! That's scary, isn't it? So you see... As long as I'm paying you if you're working for me, or if I'm working for you, same thing. I do exactly what you tell me. That's the way I ran my life as an engineer. My VP called me and told me he wanted something done. I went and done it. It's amazing. Sometimes, the way the business was, with the expansions, we just barely get a project finished. And a month or two later, and i got to go up and tear it all out and add a whole bunch. And I thought, goodness gracious alive. How much waste what we've done. But hey. It had to be done. So I didn't grumble and complain. I just did it. And by doing it, I was able to walk in divine health all these years. You know what a privilege it is for the last 21 years to not have one day of sickness and disease? You know how wonderful that is? You don't have to be sick. But I'm going to tell you not to be sick. You're going to have to, just like I prayed that prayer this morning. When Cheryl and I were driving down the road coming down, I said, Lord, put a guard on my mouth. And she said, no, Lord, on our mouth. You know, Lord, put a guard on our mouth. She, she wanted in that prayer too. So we, we, neither one of us want to be sick or afflicted, right? We want to be able to live and walk the abundant life. We don't want nobody to pray for our healing because we want to walk in abundant life. But if somebody's got a problem today, Jesus has already healed you on the cross. All you have to do is repent. We drive the devil away, lay hands on you, and will he heal you, young lady? Yes, he will. Does he love you? Yes, but is he a faith God? Yes, he expects you to believe his promises and stand on them, right? And then getting healed is a whole lot better than being sick for 15 years, isn't it? Oh, praise you, Lord. Lord, I'm so grateful for all these people. I thank you and praise you and worship you, Father, for the Word of God which guarantees us healing every time for every one of us. All we've got to do is repent of our sins and drive out the devil. And you've already bore our sickness and removed our disease. It's already a done deal. 
All we've got to do is take away from the enemy by force what's rightfully ours. Just like Rusty and his testimony, how he came here in a wheelchair so many times. But today he came walking. And Lord, I praise you and thank you for healing Rusty. And may you continue to bless him. To think that he's going home. He had to leave early from the healing school so he could go home and mow his yard. I thank you, Lord, for those kind of blessings for your children. And Lord, I praise you and thank you for this day. Now, Lord, if we pray for people this evening, I ask you to be merciful to them as they repent. I ask you to heal everyone because it's already done. And I ask you to make the manifestation happen in their flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.